Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Point of Origin, episode 43, the podcast where I can only reflect on in an entire jam-packed episode of good things, bad things, some questionable science in between, and yet the <laughs> only thing I could focus on was, huh, Hammond's a ginger? I mean, sometimes you gotta focus on the important things. <laughs> Mel, you react quietly. I react loudly. You react quietly. And real reactions don't translate well to podcasts. I know! Because it seems like I say a joke and it falls so fucking flat that you're, like, <laughs> tragically sad. And then you'll do, like, a pity laugh. <laughs> now, the biggest uh, revelation in this episode is that Zats can unlock chests. <laughs> yeah, questionable science, questionable mechanics. I, I do not believe that... That is how electricity works. No. <laughs> I mean, far be it for me to say, I am not an electrician, but I do feel confident in the knowledge that that is not how electricity works. That's just me, though. But yeah, it's a great episode. I, um, oh, oh, shit, that's right. So, um, last week I ended up, as you and I know, that episode went on. And I also, yes. so, and, and, and as for people who are listening, who happen to also listen to last week's episode, they might have noticed that there's a distinct moment uh, about 45 milliseconds in where you can tell I was not here for all the audio balancing I had to do. Because it turns out, while that mic is really nice, we have such radically different styles of recording, <laughs> distance-wise and intensity-wise to the mic, that balancing our audio <laughs> was a nightmare. I did notice. I was like, huh. <laughs> I was over it in about 30 seconds. Yeah. Definitely sounds like somebody who's going, yeah, nope, never mind. This, nope. <laughs> but yeah, so while I was editing that last week's episode, and on top of just not being here for our shit audio, I I noticed that I kind of went way too far into why, 1916, why 1969 was such a good episode, like I always do, because I get ahead of myself and yeah. happy and enthusiastic. <laughs> and so instead of just like leaving in pieces of it, I just took the entire thing out. Like, literally all of it. So I, I need to reiterate it today. <laughs> yeah, we have a bad habit when we're excited about an episode and about talking about it for episodes before it happens. Right. I think the only one we get a pass on is Emancipation, because, yeah. What? I, emancipation. I don't know what you're about. Oh, duh. He's got me. God damn it. <laughs> and on that note, for a real proper introduction for once. <laughs> oh my goodness. Instead of us pulling it out of our asses at the last second. <laughs> I'm Mel. <laughs> And I'm Liz. The episode we're covering today is Season 2, Episode 21. It's called 1969. And the official synopsis from the DVD collection is... A solar flare sends the SG-1 team back to 1969, where the U.S. Military Command suspects the team of espionage. O'Neill and his crew escape and hitchhike with two Woodstock-bound kids desperate to find the Stargate before they're stuck in the psychedelic past forever. <laughs> it was fine until those last words. Yeah, it, it was funny because I was, I was kind of here for it. I was like, oh, okay, 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 all right. What is this, like the second synopsis now that so far so good? Okay, and up oh, there it is. <laughs> <sighs> the psychedelic past forever. Someone, someone was having fun. I mean, that one's not as bad technically at least it wasn't an extreme an, an offensive use of dashes for example or <laughs> so there wasn't an ins any insane punctuation this time it looks like they also knew what the plot yeah of the there we go was. jesus christ i got so focused on punctuation yeah and they also seem to have actually <laughs> watched the episode i know jeez yeah you're playing fucking final fantasy aren't you <laughs> <laughs> i'm listening stargate got lucky with me in that it's not like it was my first uh, foray into time travel, not even close. 
but uh-huh. <laughs> this was I, I watched Stargate at a very young age so it was before I knew the rules the, well not just the rules okay on top of that yeah so there's also that but no I um I just wasn't as annoyed with life yet more importantly nothing was filled with flaws yet to me <laughs> Yeah. So I didn't, and I also, just because of, you know, being naive and shit, I just didn't question shit. So, for example, Star Trek, The Voyage Home, it well, it made complete sense to me that you could fly a, a Klingon bird of prey around the sun, slingshotting yourself literally back in time while going, what was it, warp 10? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, sure. obviously. Sure, it's fine. You know, I Obviously, mean, what, are you, is... what are you saying? The science is there. <laughs> to be fair, with original series, it, I I would have no leg to stand on to be annoyed with it, because again, during the original series, when the show was on the air, in like six, I think it was in like 68 or 69, they literally have, <clears throat> have an episode that just opens with Captain's Log, we've traveled back in time to 1970 or something. <laughs> and it's like, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm I'm literally sorry. Sorry, what? I'm, I'm, I I do overuse the word literally versus like you know what's correct, which is figuratively. But no, I am literally sorry that I just heard that. What? <laughs> but again, so yeah, I've never seen my my consumption of the original series is solely down to the movies, so I have not seen that. I've seen Voyage Home and I've seen Wrath of Khan. Okay, that's two. I think. There are I think that's six. the only original ones I've seen. It depends on whether or not you consider Generations one, because Generations was the uh, passing the torch one, as it were, was, whatever. Oh, I may have seen Generations. Generations is amazing. That's the one with Kirk, Alan Ruck, and Picard. Notice that Alan Ruck has his actual name in there, because I can't remember who the fuck his character was, but yeah. Yes, I have seen Generations. So yeah, I've seen three of them. <laughs> yeah, the movies weren't terrible. The, I mean, they weren't. Some of them were not great, but they weren't terrible. And that show was all over the place. It was all over the map. <laughs> it's just kind of painful to watch the original series. It's not. It's not great. But again, I took it all in stride because you know, original series was always just you know ridiculous. I was young and naive, and I just didn't think. I didn't care to think. You know, there was no suspending my disbelief. I just didn't have any disbelief. <laughs> right. And so yeah, Stargate fell much like Star Trek. Fell into that nice little zone of sure. Sure, you, sure, sure. A, sure a solar flare can interfere with a wormhole, and it will not yes, only of still function as intended, i.e. getting you from point A to point B alive and intact, <laughs> but it will do it in a manner that is, honestly, I would call that, like, what, 95% successful? Because at the end, the only thing it messed up was the time. It yeah. even got the, the place right, something that Stargate will later go, yeah, actually, that doesn't work. Because if you're going through the wormhole, you should come out the other end of the wormhole where it is, <laughs> not right. not just where it was. That doesn't make sense. Like, they do immediately go, wait, oops, never mind on that one. Like, you never <laughs> see that vanishing thing again. Um, not in that context, anyway. But again, I never bothered with that in Stargate. Not until very, 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 very recently. And I, by that, I mean probably, I don't know, last week? <laughs> the first time I really sat there and went, yeah, by the way, solar flares interfering with wormholes is probably the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, it's a wild idea. Right? <laughs> the only thing, literally, the only thing that is worse than this is something else that came out around 1999, which is Farscape's interpretation of wormholes. <laughs> which is that they are naturally occurring in space. Because of solar flares. 
If you slingshot around a planet at exactly the right angle with exactly the right conditions while a solar flare of exactly the right whatever, whatever, if these things happen in this order at this time, you will create a wormhole. And it's like, I'm sitting there going, and I believed this? Child me had no problem with this? What's great is that Farscape's explanation for how a wormhole is created is basically Stargate's explanation for how time travel. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's just, you know, it happens. On that note, the only thing that I have as a question science-wise for this is solar flares almost always have a coronal mass ejection accompanying them, like almost always, which is a huge shit ton of stuff that gets spewed out from the sun right after the solar flare. And this episode conveniently leaves that out entirely. <laughs> like, not even as a brief line of like, and by the way, this is why it doesn't affect the wormhole. Yeah. My consumption of time travel uh, started back in the early 90s, whenever I first saw Back to the Future. And I just fell in love with time travel at that point. And Back to the Future, to this day, is my favorite movie. And I just love any kind of time travel. It doesn't matter what kind. It doesn't matter how realistic or unrealistic it is. I don't care. Honestly, I, th I like how Back to the Future does it in that it shows cause and effect somewhat. Oh, I, that's why I love part two. Part two is my favorite out of all of them because of the fact that he has to go, first of all, the fact that they do the whole um, split timeline thing. And then to fix it, how he has to go back to the same place that he already is and avoid running into himself. Yeah, that's just good old fashioned time travel. That's, that's good stuff. Heck yeah. Some good shit. Yeah. I love Back to the Future Part 2. I enjoy it as a concept. And I honestly, I, I don't really like how this episode does it in the sense of Apparently there's, according to the trivia, there's some, like, backstory to this, and apparently one of the reasons why uh, Sam isn't in the Air Force in the Season 8 uh, Alternate Universe thing uh -huh. is because of events that happened because of 1969, or didn't happen. Hammond, as a result of this note, he knows for, uh, for sure that when he meets a guy named Jacob Carter, that he should keep this guy alive, because he met a Carter. And apparently he saves Jacob, I think, in Vietnam, if I remember the trivia right. And that's what uh -huh. leads to Sam uh, joining the Air Force. In the other timeline, because Sam was never in the Air Force, she never went back in time, never gave that note to Hammond. Hammond didn't know about the special circumstances and didn't know that he would have to be, uh, you know, he had to be alive at a certain time and that Jacob would have to be alive at a certain time. And so didn't save him. And that's why Sam doesn't join the Air Force is because she is afraid of her mother's reaction. Because her mom lives in this timeline, and she was devastated, I guess, by Jacob's death. So Sam never joins huh. the Air Force to save her mom from that. Weird. I like that. I should rephrase that, because that is cause and effect in an alternate timeline. Alternate universe as created by those events kind of thing. Yeah. Here, I don't really care for it so much, mostly because I, I just, this isn't actually a problem with the show. This is my problem with this, this particular type of time travel loop. And I know this is part of how it works, but I don't care. I just don't like it. I don't like how he has the note because he knows to have the note. Like, yeah. people always tell me, oh, he had to know because he did it before. I'm like, yeah, but then who was the first? Like, yeah, no, that's like always the, the issue. Like, no, it's that. not like a chicken in the egg. It's not like a chicken in the egg. There has to be a beginning. Time that has a beginning for us. That is always the issue that particular theory of time travel. Yeah, that one bugs me. That one just bugs me. Either it's like, there always effect. has to be a start. Yeah. And then so in terms of, like, for example, the grandfather paradox, yeah, you're right, that would cause a conundrum. So, 
alternate universe. Like Back to the Future did. Exactly. Exactly. Little things. Like I said, I like, I go mm-hmm. back to Janeway. I, I roll my eyes and go, I just give up. Fuck you, time travel. <laughs> That's fair, But man. again, it's not, it's not anybody doing anything wrong. It's time travel is confusing and my brain hurts. That's why Primer yep. is the only good, let me rephrase this, Primer is the only accurate time travel movie because you have literally no fucking clue what's happening the entire time. <laughs> And that's time travel in a nutshell. Very, very confusing. And if one person gets it, I guarantee you it's one, and they're definitely not doing it for good reasons. Fair enough. Yeah, and Primer's got that very bleak ending. So again, I'm right back to where I started, which I'm not complaining about this episode doing anything wrong, because as long as it's doing something wrong, it's not being Primer. There you go. Listen, this time travel episode is doing precisely what a lot of this particular genre of time travel episodes are doing. It's literally here just so everyone can explore a particular time period for a little while. Yeah, pretty much. It's just, yeah, exactly. It's for funsies. Time travel should never be... Okay, so I'm about to put my foot kind of in my mouth because uh, you'll in 15 years when we get there, you'll notice that what I'm about to say is kind of contradicted <laughs> by this being one of my favorite episodes later, but whatever. I, I don't like it when events of the time travel are actually crucial. Uh-huh. Maybe it's just that I don't like it when it's done badly. So in this case, there you I go. don't like it when things in the episode are entirely dependent on events that are because of the time travel. But again, in like that convenient way, not in a good mm-hmm. way. You have to do it right. With SGU, for example, it's multiple tries, basically. It's kind of like the time loop episode that they play for laughs in SG-1 later, where it's using it for the extra time, kind of. Yeah. But it's not like that in this episode, or in bad iterations where it's dependent on it. Mm-hmm. And I, it's the reason why I'm saying this so slowly and haltingly is because, of course, I'm racking my brain for an example right now. None are coming to mind, but maybe, maybe they will during our six hours of recording today. <laughs> All right, so... Let's get to the actual episode itself instead of talking about the concept of the episode. <laughs> so this episode was written by Brad Wright. Yay! And you can tell right? with like the dialogue. The dialogue and is stuff. insanely good. It's very Brad Wright. So bantery. Yes, he's very good at the teen banter. He's and teen even outside dynamic of dude. just teen banter, just the teen bantering with other people. Yeah, he's he's, he's good at that. He's he's the go-to for team dynamic. I'm thinking. Yeah, Brad Wright's really good at the team dynamic, and and Robert C. Cooper's good at making you think about something. <laughs> um, oh God, I'm really tempted. One second. I don't know what you're one tempted second, one about. Second, one second, one second, one second. Oh my God, my that episode by the way is literally called Time of SGU. Wow. I mean, hey, yep, there it is. R- written and directed by Peter. Uh, by Peter? No, nope, I was looking at the guest starring list. Sorry. Um. <laughs> Written and directed by Robert, Robert C. Cooper, so... Of course it there was. There it is. One of my favorite <laughs> fucking episodes. And like I said, it kind of undermined everything I just complained about, because the whole thing is kind of contingent and reliant on the time travel, the events of time travel. But it's not, I don't know, contrived, I guess. It's not con- yeah. It's not convenient. It's part of the thing. It's convenient by way of, yeah, but again, it's a TV show. Like, everything about the setup is convenient. You had to have a bunch of people who all somehow had the exact right skill set to be able to survive this situation, all being in the exact right place at the exact right time with a magic planet that can send you power-wise across the- I mean, come on. Yes. Everything about this is convenient, so fucking fight me. <laughs> you know? It's funny. I, again, I'm always whining about this stuff until it's about something I love. <laughs> well, yeah, like you said, like, you're consuming media, there has to be some level of convenience in all of exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. Again, I love the Stargate movie, and I make this joke a lot, was it's a series, it, this, that entire movie is a series of events strung together. These guys are literally just hopscotching from one convenient moment 
to a coincidental one back to a convenient one. Oh, absolutely. 100%. And I don't you're care not because it's a, you're not watching it for logic. You're watching it to watch somebody blow up some aliens. What, why else would you be watching it, I, I, I guarantee you I was not going into a Roland Emmerich movie with high expectations here, okay? <laughs> I go into Roland Emmerich movies going, okay, cool, so I'm going to watch some shit blow up and I don't have to suffer Michael Bay. We're good. Right? That's that's 100% all you're doing there. Yep. Honestly, Roland Emmerich is just like a somewhat tasteful version of Michael Bay. Honestly, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Uh, uh, and it's directed by a new face, uh, Charles Coral. Corel? I don't know. Sorry, I'm ruined by, by life. Oh, Coral. Exactly. Every time I hear anything resembling that word now, it's completely ruined. So yeah. Corel then. Corel. I don't know. C-O-E-R-R-E-L-L. So many tabs up, I'm turning into Mel. Yay! Oh yeah, I guess I'd be like, yeah, I don't know, maybe like, yeah, I guess, I mean, I'm going with Corel. That's a weird name. <laughs> it's not a weird name. The spelling is yeah, just fucking I, with me. It's a new face, and I don't know if he's ever yeah. coming back. Usually, the only reason why I know is because of trivia telling me, and no one saw fit to mention. Oh, never mind. It's right there at the end, if I'd cared to look. Uh, no. It's actually not a new face. This is actually his second one he's directed, apparently. And what his, has he done? I don't know. It says this is the last of two episodes directed by him. Well, hold up. Let me find out. Uh, The Knox. Oh! I can kind of see where that... Oh, but the Knox was bad. I mean, the Knox had that terrible. Was the directing like bad? five point cut of that one fight with oh, the office. Fuck, that's right. Okay, here's the thing. I do always have to say, even when I'm whining about it, hardcore, and I do remember whining about that one, is even I have yeah. to admit that I know it's because they have budget constraints and they probably have, like, limited pyrotechnics they can do, so they probably only, like, blow shit up once and they have to take six different shots of it from different angles because that's it. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's what went down there. Maybe he shouldn't be blamed for that. I'm desperately just trying to make it better in my mind, because honestly, I don't remember liking Knox's directing now that you mention it, and I do... I guess I really wouldn't say There's nothing wrong with the directing in this episode. Yeah, this one's actually not bad. I like the focus shots they do occasionally. I kind of like the long take in the interrogation scene between that guy. Yeah! Between Smoker and Jack. So... Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess it, like, I guess this is entirely moot considering how it's his last one. So, yeah, hello, goodbye. It's, just, it's been so long since we had him that I forgot. But yes, so that's that's the director. Like you said, hello, goodbye. He's gone. <laughs> time to finally an hour into this recording. Time to finally get on this episode. So uh, we open up with the team are all standing on the ramp except for Sam, who's in the dialing room doing some like last minute calculations, and Jack's like. What is she doing? And Daniel's like, oh, she's doing some recalculations for, uh... <laughs> and Jack's like, yes? And he's like, to be honest, I wasn't listening. <laughs> so we find out from Sam that this time of year, uh, the gate takes them closer to the, the sun, uh, which risks, like, solar interference. Uh, and she mentions something about risking space time warping <laughs> okay so i feel like that was their attempt at continuity actually but i think they were trying to go for a good thing here because I, I they were trying to give us a lead-in well that and right but also <laughs> they were trying to i think um maybe acknowledge matter of time a bit here like after effects of like hey by the way now oh, we know how this okay. shit can affect wor our wormhole travel so maybe maybe this is i mean it made sense to me from that perspective and i'm i'm down for it if it's that 
Sure. I'll take it. I'm not, I'm not even complaining about it. It's a weird way of phrasing it, but I'm not complaining about it. That being said, the time warping thing is way too obvious as language. I mean, there's a couple scenes in this that are, like, setup scenes that are pretty fucking obvious. The only good one, actually, that I really like is the Niet one, because that sets up... It's so, it's so, they're so busy making it funny that you actually completely miss that it's a setup for his later being able to pretend to be foreign things. And right. He's in quite nicely. <laughs> the rest of them aren't that subtle because they're not masked in any way. They're just, hey, guess what? No. Look at me. I'm a lead in. Yeah, yeah. They do a lot of uh, prep. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not against it. It's a, it. It stands out way too much. It's like that question on a test that is longer than all the others. So you know it's that one. It's like, ah, yes, I think <laughs> it. I, somehow I know. I feel like, I feel in my heart it must be C. You know, it has nothing hmm. to do with the fact that it feels like the right answer. Everything to do with the fact that it's four sentences and the rest are three words. Yeah. I will say, though, I do like this scene because I immediately jump to bad conclusions when Jack says his thing about what's she doing again. Because my first thing was I was thinking about solar flare activity being ramped up because that is a thing is that the sun does go through periods of time where it has increased solar activity. Yeah. And I was thinking immediately... Wouldn't the amateur astronomer know that? But then she said her actual thing, and I was like, oh, no, it's because of alignment of planets and celestial bodies. Cool. That actually, that tracks. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I wasn't that annoyed with it because it was, seemed like a good continuity, and it seemed to actually establish how physics works a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, as she's leaving the, the dialing room after finishing her calculations, Hammond stops her for a second and notes her hand injury. And I did think at first, I'm like, was this supposed to be, like, right after false step, and yeah, that's so why she's got the hand, hand injury? But, and then I thought about it more, and the hand injury she got in false step was, like, on her palm. So here's the thing, Mel. You and I, and apparently a lot of people, had this exact same thought because I checked it out on the trivia. Because, like, oh, yeah, I wonder, is that supposed to be the same cut? Like, did I miss something? And, no, it is apparently supposed to be the cut from that, and it's just super continuity errored because I think they wanted it to be more obvious for the camera. Yeah, I can, I can. I guess I can understand that. But you're you're not wrong. It's one hundred percent on her palm in one false step. Oh yeah, but it does also kind of build on my my comment uh, for the last episode where it kind of felt like they shoved um, show and tell in because they just needed a another episode in the run up. Right. You remember when I made that comment where it's kind of like they just realized suddenly, oh, we only have twenty one episodes. Oh, yeah. We need another one. Yeah. So the fact that it's in between. Uh, false step in this, and that she never makes any comment about having a hand injury in show and tell is a little bit of an issue with continuity, outside of the simple fact that the injury is on the wrong part of her hand. Yeah, so the trivia could be wrong on it. Honestly, I would totally believe it based on that, as in just an accident. But again, it's just kind of funny that they have two episodes that focus on it. Yeah. If they're not the same cut. So, no. But they're not followed so, up. So, I guess my question here is for Stargate, where's your error? <laughs> is it originally yeah. or is it here? Because it's somewhere. It is somewhere, yes. Um, but yeah, so he notes her hand injury uh, and then gives her a note that he's very mysterious about. He's like, put this in your pocket and read it on the other side. Okay, yes, yeah, so this this is what and I'm talking about. This shit right here, where it's completely re- it's, it's 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 <laughs> when I say it's reliant, I mean it's beyond. It's interwoven with the fabric of the existence of this show because these episodes drive this particular method of time travel and how it affects characters in these kinds of episodes. Yeah, I hate it. I hate it. I actually <laughs> genu- genuinely hate it. Up until so, besides this episode, there's only one other character that just stands out in my mind of just 
evil snort as I do, rage snort. There was an episode of Star Trek Void. There was a, in the show. There was a character called Kess. Uh, she was played by this person, uh, Jennifer Lean Lane Lean. I don't know. Anyway, and she was in, she was written out, and they bring her back for one episode to tie up her storyline in the last season. Uh huh. And I don't know why they went with this, but they went with her trying to go back in time to save herself from what she thinks is the biggest mistake of her life, which was traveling with these people. She needs to save her younger self from a life of misery kind of thing, because everything that went wrong in her life happened because of Voyager in her mind. And okay. after, you know, so on and so forth, events happen, she realizes the error of her ways. Young Kess has to record a message for future Kess, so that at, at the moment when she goes to try and go back in time, It'll, the message will play and remind her that she doesn't actually want to do this and thus ending this entire loop Plot. thing. Yeah, ending the problem. It's literally in the dialogue where she's, where young Kes goes, you have forgotten because you have been so angry and whatever, whatever, whatever. You don't remember me making this message. And I'm just sitting here going, <laughs> how the fuck <laughs> does that track even remotely? <laughs> Horse Yeah, you know how shit. anger gives you amnesia? My favorite part about this, by the way, is this species that Kess was a part of only lived for nine years. So the amount of time between those events was even shorter than you. Oh my god! Like, I, I know it's still just you know as long as the show was. It wasn't like more time passed for, you know for other people versus her or something like that. But she ages much faster. So yeah, I feel like their memory system is. I don't know. I just feel like if this is your entire life in nine years, I feel like memories are just better better captured i just feel like you capture all of them better because there's much less you much hope plus there's much less clutter in there much less to happen you know like you, yeah you remember every day because you know yesterday you were you know three inches you were an infant and today you're a toddler and tomorrow you'll be two years you know of physical age kind of thing so every day mm -hmm. is must be a, a thing you'd think their memory would be like a steel fucking trap or something and again, she's never established as anybody who would even have it. It retcons so much in such a shitty line of dialogue that it honestly annoyed me so much that I wasn't even sad about her character anymore leaving. I was like, oh, all right, cool. I don't even care now. Bye. <laughs> it's like emotional detachment achieved because fuck this. That's just so dumb. It was utterly reliant on her not remembering. And at least they, the only thing about it that was okay was that they called that that at least she didn't remember. Like it wasn't that she was had gone her all of the things that she had done in the show with the memory. Yeah. So at least there was that. This shit in Stargate here, this is kind of worse in that respect because I hate it when characters, oh, as of this episode, you're now going, what? This means they've known the whole time? Then you look back and you go back to those episodes and you realize that doesn't track. That why would they have done any number of the things that they do? Uh-huh. My least favorite kind of time travel method is this shit right here where all of a sudden it's established that the guy has always known always remembered and has been somehow operating so completely under the radar <laughs> up until this point yeah that it's almost as if he didn't even know that he knew here's the thing you could actually do something really great with that if you planned it from the beginning well, yeah, if so if you knew from season one that at the end of season two you were gonna have this reveal you could do stuff that like isn't, like, super obvious that there's something going on yet, right, you know? Right. But, like, it's one of those things where when you look back at it afterwards, you're like, holy shit, exactly. that's why he did this thing. Yeah. Or that's why he did this thing, you know? Uh -huh. Yeah, no, exactly. That would have been phenomenal. Yeah. And I'm not 
I'm not judging them for not knowing in season one that they were going to do an episode like this a year later. No, I don't blame them. I don't them blame on. them for I don't that. Blame that, them that being that. said, any time this particular thing is used, I, I, ju- I just, I, mm, it just makes me upset because it's like, okay, but, <laughs> but I was there. Like, I, don't call me stupid. I remember Hammond being an almost retired general who just wanted to get the fuck out of there, who was, had no idea what this thing was or how it worked or anything about so on and so forth. And he, when he meets the people at first, he doesn't care as much at first. Like, everything about him, granted, it could just be based on the fact that, yeah, he may have known about events, but it doesn't mean that he actually gave a shit. It, but at the same time, the way he treats the note, young version of him treats the note with, like, you know, a sense of importance and, like, holy shit. Yeah. Those events don't make sense then, if he's been waiting for this literally his entire career and life no, up to this right. point. And again, let's, this would obviously have involved them knowing ahead of time, but if you would put stuff in, like, for example, maybe it's been a while and he's tired of waiting. Like, maybe he used to be full of youthful optimism and now he's at this point where it's like, well, maybe, maybe it won't happen. Like, maybe whatever was supposed to happen to cause the event didn't. Like, maybe we fixed it somehow. Like, maybe he's thinking it's not a problem anymore maybe he doesn't care because it's like that it's been so long i don't i can't live my life for anybody else kind of thing anymore uh-huh. no, who the fuck knows yeah yeah you, you could have done cool stuff with it but it would have required you knowing ahead of time that being said if you're gonna do an episode like this and you have him remember don't go down rage amnesia route because that's, that's <laughs> but you were so mad you forgot you yeah that tracks you, thanks you literally are telling the audience that yeah that's right he always remembered and he's literally just been waiting this whole time. I, 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 I reject your reality and I substitute nothing because I'm leaving. <laughs> so yeah, that part got me like, you know, a little bit of a teeth bitey, like grindy, just like he doesn't ever act like somebody who knows this thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you want to be an optimistic person, you can say that this episode gives us a nice character insight for Hammond, that he's apparently just that good at keeping secrets. <laughs> sure. So the team go through... And they come out in what basically looks like an empty version of their gate room. And as they're looking around like, what just happened? Suddenly, um, the gate and like all of their surroundings start to like shimmer. And then they're gone. And now there's a giant missile over their heads instead. Two things. (laughs) I waited. I knew you were going to. So I have this game that I like to play in my head. I call... Find the astonishing lack of science in the science fiction show. That. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, where's Waldo? It's, it's, where is the bullshit? There's two events here that my second also thing I'm going to mention about myself here is why I'm fully aware that it's, it seems like a contradiction, because it is, when I say I choose to ignore and then go into why it's dumb as if I wasn't ignoring it. When I say ignore, for me, that is, and I will, so therefore only explain it in three rage sentences versus an hour and a half. So for here, I choose to ignore two things. One, that shimmery thing, only because they abandon it from here on out. They realize that doesn't make any sense (laughs) from this episode on out, which is fine. Everyone makes mistakes. At least you figured it out. (laughs) Two, I tried to be Mel. I tried to think of how this could work. And I thought, well, let's say, here's the thing. We, in real life, don't think that there's anything under NORAD in Cheyenne Mountain Complex. We don't think that there's an SGC, but, you know, base there. So it could be that the ultra top secret thing that used to be there before SGC was a testing facility. I, I, I want to believe, but my belief shrivels up and dies when you think about it even a little bit, how, how much it doesn't make sense that they would be testing missiles in a closed mountain complex. 
I wish I'd taken a closer note of their dialogue in the interview scene or the interrogation scene because uh, I do actually have an answer for that. Which was that they weren't really going to do a burn in it. They, they go, you didn't really think we were going to do oh, this yeah, that. in this complex. Yeah, I do. I, I think that that line is somebody going, oh shit, on the day of filming because that's just doesn't make sense. Then why did you set up a fucking V8? Why did you do... Tests only work if you're testing the thing. And you're not testing anything in that complex that hasn't already been tested because... On that ship, because let's say you're not doing a burn, let's just... Whatever you're doing. They would do that at NASA or wherever it was built. Those things are tested in pieces, then put together and tested again and tested again, and then tested a few more times in conditions that would almost never happen. And then they are disassembled and shipped out. There's no fucking way that somebody set that entire fucking thing up. Also, how the hell did they fit it in there? How, how big is SGC, exactly? How tall is it that this was under NORAD still? But all of that, I don't buy... I, I understand what the dialogue you're saying is, but I don't buy it even a little bit. There's no reason to go through that much time and effort to test, like, a mechanical thing. Again, something they would have tested literally anywhere else. So I just, I don't buy the dialogue. I, I, I understand that it exists, but they, they I, hmm. I mean, I don't personally expect uh, the military to do anything reasonable, so I would believe that they do something stupid and wasteful. See, here's the thing, Mel. I really want to be like, yeah, I mean, but come on. And then I remember <laughs> MKUltra existed. Now, I know that was mm -hmm. the CIA specifically, but that's still adult humans thinking some very interesting things. Mm -hmm. I have to remember that people made these decisions and actually did these things. So I guess you're not wrong. Like there's you every now and then I hear stories of something that some, not even the U S government governments in history throughout history have gone out of their way to just really make me go. Really? <laughs> like what was the end goal? So I, I, I don't, yeah, it doesn't fix it for me, but I, it does make it more real, which I'm not sure if it's better. I don't know if that's better. <laughs> it's sadder. Yeah. It makes me sadder. I mean, that's... <laughs> uh, so, they come out into, like, uh, under NORAD, under a big missile, uh, and they come out just in the middle of a quote-unquote test burn. And that I'm, quote, ignoring, end quote. Yeah. There's great delivery of teal, just, what is a test burn? <laughs> It's when apparently a bunch of idiots decide to set off a fucking missile <laughs> in a very... When I say enclosed space, I mean very enclosed space. Extremely yeah. enclosed space. They're setting off what I can only loosely call a controlled explosion <laughs> in an extremely confined space. What they're doing, Teal'c, is insanity. Yeah, so everyone else is panicking and trying to, like, get the attention of the people outside like stop abort abort <laughs> like banging on walls looking for controls and teal just calmly walks to the middle under the missile stares up at it and shoots it with his zat so apparently zats can stop missiles from launching now it's, it still annoys me because again it still sets up this really dumb question in my mind of like then what then why did you do this because if you weren't actually testing a burn then why why would you do all these things that you did it's just so weird like what what the fuck were you testing then weirdos um so it still sets this up, but it does support, quote-unquote, not just the dialogue, but you, you know, in that, you know, they weren't doing the thing that you're bitching about them doing. <laughs> but the only evidence, really, that supports it is there's all that shit that they're fiddling with, trying desperately, to, you know, to not die. Why would that, that wouldn't be, how would you, you couldn't have equipment that close to a fucking rocket. No, you couldn't. <laughs> there's a reason why landing pads are, A, not in a confined space, and B, 
there's only so many things within explosion distance, and they're all things that are reinforced to be able to handle that. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that they, and those pieces of equipment aren't the ones that are, and those aren't even ones that they know are going to be in a direct line of, when I say fire, I mean more than fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and these were all just regular, like, junction boxes and shit, all within what I can literally only call a five or six foot distance yeah, it was of not, the uh, rocket. It was, so, yeah, I guess it, it does support the- It was not the big open yeah. gate room No, it was a very in. confined space because rockets and missiles are big. But yeah, so so that would support the theory that, yes, they, they weren't in fact doing a real test burn because otherwise they'd be burning their their electricity. Yeah. Like, I don't know what their backup <laughs> plan would have been. Um, but yeah, so, so after Teal shoots the missile, um, people finally notice that there's people in here. <laughs> I love Teal so much. I love Teal so much. His steadfast calm as he just slowly yes. comes or considers it and then just shoots it. I wonder it. what happens if I shoot it. Yeah, it's really, and then Jack being like, how'd you know that would work? I did not. <laughs> I mean, honestly, fair. Like, did you have a backup plan? What else were you going to do? <laughs> I always love it when people who know they're about to die still do the thing. Just do fuck it? Well, no, do um emergency cover. So not Teal, but the others, they all do a cover and duck and run kind of thing. Where yeah, they're like going to protect true, themselves. They they're like, protect yourself from what? The super <laughs> fire that's coming at you from 10 feet away? Okay. Yes. I wouldn't do that, honestly. My thing is that if I know I'm going for that kind of shit death, I want my brain to be as close to it as possible because my brain is, so you die is, what, is what pain comes from. Pain isn't just from the nerves. Your brain is telling you you're feeling pain. So if my so brain melts the best first, then I can't scream in agony for that extra second, potentially. So yeah, I'm walking underneath that thing and I'm timing that, you know how she's counting now, three, two, one. I'm timing my jump. I'm ready. <laughs> But I, I'm always amused by people who, who do that kind of shit. But yeah, so I, I saw they're they're assuming don't die uh, things yes. that I immediately thought of those old videos from the Cold War where it was, if yeah. you see a flash, duck under your picnic blanket. Literally, one of them was <laughs> drag the picnic blanket over yourself. Oh my and I went, god. If that isn't lying to the public, I don't know what is. Oh, that's what, that's exactly what they were doing back oh, then. Oh yeah, it was, if you see a flash, guess what? You're gone. But guess what? You don't, you won't know it. There you go. You don't have to see your imminent demise coming. Yeah, because picnic blankets. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, the, the, they, the, the people in charge of this place come in, obviously not fucking happy with people suddenly being under their missile. They're like, who are you? You're like holding guns on them, yelling at them. Okay, so here's the thing. You know how you, before I interrupted you, you had said for a second, they finally noticed there's people in there. I too had, for a second, had originally had a problem, like how did they not notice there were people in here? And then originally was going, oh, because test burn, anything in there would melt, like a camera or, you know, anything that would be like sensors, for example, anything they put in there would, you know, be fried. But of course, upon reflection now, if that burn wasn't happening, why the fuck wasn't there a camera in there? Why don't they have security? Why is I mean, Cheyenne I will Mountain say, Complex I so against it. security? Why is it that they don't actually want to be safe? I'm realizing this. They don't want to be safe, Mel. They like incursions. Because they don't Here's even the have thing. a fucking sensor in their non-test burn chamber. Here's the thing. I made a joke about it, but um, we don't know how close any personnel were to that room. They could have noticed people were in there immediately. And been heading over there the whole time. That's a fair assessment. Still still weird they don't have a camera in there. Or like a wind- Something. Yeah. If they're not actually burning shit, then why don't you have the other things? It's, it's, yeah. It is a steadfast refusal to adopt security measures <laughs> that apparently Absolutely. is the curse of Cheyenne Mountain. 
Well, they're under a mountain. They're not expecting anyone to be able to get in. <laughs> I read somewhere... The podcast misses your facial expressions. I read somewhere once that most Egyptian pyramids were grave uh, grave robbers apparently mostly would always get in within like a month or two of burial these things were designed of course to keep everybody out and almost all of them that got plundered were done so almost immediately <laughs> when i read that i just kind of laughed my ass off because i was like really i kind of thought like some of them were i thought it was mostly like you know white people in the 1800s who came by and did the rest i didn't know it was you know your average tom dick and harry from literally next door <laughs> coming over <laughs> It just really cracked me yep. up. But it does put it into perspective a little bit for me. So they all get taken under arrest, basically. And Sam immediately seems to have an idea of what's going on. And basically is like, Jack, you can't say anything. Or doesn't say Jack, but you know, sir, you can't say anything. He's very firm about it. Kudos to the guy in charge, because he does, you know, while he's threatening them, he does actually just continue to threaten them instead, threaten instead of, you know, killing. So yay, kudos yeah. to him for not being a trigger finger itchy trigger finger dude or a gun happy asshole good for him yeah but yeah she's already clearly got an idea of what's going on so she immediately before the guy says if you talk you get shot tells jack basically don't say anything don't 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 tell him anything <laughs> but they get taken to the same exact fucking briggs that they have in sgc <laughs> it's literally the same rooms you can tell when I'm in a mood when I'm watching episodes because when that guy, you know, cold cocks him, as he, as he said, my note was so dramatic, much posing. Because he goes like almost I mean, Captain Morgan with it because he's just like full like army man <laughs> with the pose. It, oh yeah, this guy's definitely got some to toxic masculinity. I, I've actually, no I, I, I more that. meant it like the, because uh, everything about him was a stereotype down to his, you know, he had the square chiseled jaw from that guy, just like that guy in Star uh, Starship Troopers who just looks like a military man just when you look at his face. He looks like uh -huh. Ken Doll military man. Marine, <laughs> Marine Ken Doll, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's kind of like that with, with this guy where he I didn't actually get a lot of toxicity from him in that respect so much as just gung-ho, but it was also the 60s, so it was actually kind of in character. <laughs> Honestly, Hammond being chill wasn't. Yeah, right? Um, so, it's like, well done, Hammond. Right? Yeah, the, the posing thing just cracked me because it seemed more just like a dramatic touch from directing standpoint because it was honestly just like, if the, it was, he was literally like, he was like a centerfold, Mel. He was just like, hi yeah, <laughs> pose. Is your action figure coming out next month or something? Yes, I don't know. Obviously. It looks like the moment that it looks like something that made Channing Tatum want to become an actor. Probably. <laughs> so yeah, like when, okay, when I said toxic masculinity, that definitely wasn't the right word, but you know what I meant—not toxic masculinity, but like the the why some guys join the military because they think it makes them tough guys, you know that kind of thing. But yeah, that's that's uh that's what I really meant. Toxic masculinity is such an easy yeah. phrase to say yeah. though. <laughs> and he didn't shoot them despite threatening it. So well done. Yeah, so um they're in the brig and this is where um Sam basically, you know, explains to everyone. Oh sorry, before that, we see uh every uh we see two people who work in that mountain. Um, who are, like, unloading the team's gear and, like, boxing it up to be sent somewhere. And uh, one of them, they're looking at the Zat gun, like, what the heck is this? <laughs> uh, but one of them uh, finds, as he's moving their vests, finds the note in Sam's vest pocket. And he pulls it out and looks at it, and it says George on it. And then he opens it up, and it says, help them, August 10th, 9.15 a.m., August 11th, 6.03 p.m. 
Yeah, nice and vague, which I can't even be mad about because it's on purpose vagueness. Yeah. Um, and then, then we go to the brig where Sam has figured out that they've traveled back, you know, 30 years. Um, and Daniel at first, like, makes a little history joke about, like, um, because they're like, well, how do we get back to our time? And Daniel's like, oh, or we could go to before our time so it never happened. Okay, yeah, so real quick on that. <sighs> Daniel in this is everything that's hopeful about people who want to use time travel, where he's just like, yeah. holy crap. But I, I couldn't help. Yeah, then he goes, ooh, we can see Babylon. Right? <laughs> so I have a few things to say here. It's all good. First off, I kept saying V8 missile. I just went back to the trivia page. But it was actually a Titan missile, as he put it out. Titan missile specifically. Uh, but cool bit of continuity on not continuity, cool bit of detail on it is since it was a Titan missile, it used liquid fuel. In the episode when it right before it fires up, it makes a short shrieking sound. That's actually a real thing. Titan uh Titan rockets actually missile I keep saying rocket. Titan missiles do that. They actually made that sound right before launch. It's, it's the turbine fuel oh. pump spinning up. So a, there's a lot of little things about this episode that are really good attention to detail. For example, when they're driving on the highway later, you'll see a lot of different signs for the highway. It's because during that time period, it was under reconstruction. So depending on where you were in the States, it was either I-40 or something, or Route 66, or whatever they were reconstructing it into. Hmm. So when they're driving along, they're actually seeing time-accurate signs along the way. And on that note, all of the headlines you see on newspapers, all real headlines that occurred on those actual days. That's really cool. Yeah, little fucking shit, man. And it was, See, they paid attention yeah. to the time travel things, like the, the, the time period things. Yeah. Because ultimately, that's the spirit of this episode. It's about the time period. On that note real fast, I do really appreciate that they came after the moon landing. I always hate it when everyone yeah. always manages to happen to be there right as some important event happens. Like, unless it's... Like, for example, First Contact, Star Trek First Contact, the reason why they happened to be there around First Contact is because the Borg were trying to get there. <laughs> like, that was the goal. Mm -hmm. it's all, when I, I hate it when it just, it's happenstance. They just happened yeah. to be there at a really important time. It's like, oh, wow, what coincidence. She, like, the only thing bigger than space is all of space-time. So, <laughs> cool. Good job there. Well done, well done, getting the perfect spot. Right? Just like, it's miraculous almost. So they didn't do that. In fact, it's right after. Good timing, because Eric and I actually just committed to rewatching, because uh, I love it, From the Earth to the Moon. Because I remembered, he was asking me, he's like, yeah, the moon landing happened in 1960-something? And I went, July 20th, 1969, motherfucker. <laughs> so yeah, kudos to them. They, motherfucker. Yeah, kudos to them, they didn't do that. So yeah, no, there was no much happenstance. It was literally just a time. Before I even got to all of those good thoughts, though, I had to get through a, a, an intense laughing fit because it's not the episode's fault. Once again, they didn't know what was to come. But Daniel's line about we might be the first people to travel back in time made me laugh so fucking hard because in this show alone, nope, not even close. <laughs> like, so not even close, man. But yeah, so I was just laughing my ass off. They're babies. How would they know? Yeah, it's like when you go back to rewatch a show that... For example, like Walking Dead, I'll go back to season one, and I'll just laugh my ass off watching the pilot. Let's go, <laughs> dead, 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 missing, dead, dead. Wow. It's, it's really funny, because it's, it's so much has changed. So I was just giggling up a storm. No, sir. You'll get there, though. Yeah. Uh, but Sam, as the scientist of this team, immediately shoots him down like, absolutely not. We can't risk doing anything to change the past because of the grandfather paradox, as you already brought up. I feel bad for, um, I feel, I feel Daniel there, because if I was given the opportunity, somebody told me I could go back and see the Library of Alexandria, for example, I would, yeah, I would, uh, 
I would have to have somebody holding me back, honestly. Because if it was if it was, up, if, it was <laughs> if it was left up to me, if it were left up to me, I would spend a good amount of time, like months, being like, no, this is not, no, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do this, until one day, one moment of weakness. <laughs> And then it's just like, no, I'll, I can do this. And I would be that cocky bitch who's like, no, I can handle this. I'll pick a good time. No fires, no you know, conflict, no nothing. And I'll get there and I'll accidentally, you know, stub some, some of these. Sneeze, sneeze, on a, sneeze near someone. Sneeze on a camel or something. And yeah. next thing you know, shit's gone down. Uh-huh. So... I feel Daniel in that moment, but I also, I, Sam's response of just fuck no is, is exactly right. Even though she never actually explains why it's a paradox. She says if you kill your own grandfather, then you'll never be born. And she never explains why that's, that's problematic, which is, and then you'll never go back in time to kill yeah. your grandfather. It's, it's a little thing, but you left it out. Yeah, she didn't, she didn't explain the grandfather yeah. paradox. She just said it existed. Yeah, she kind of explained it, and then she didn't explain why it's a paradox. So it's like, okay, well, you're kind of missing the, the piece that makes it work but okay yeah you know, we, we don't need linchpins it's fine um but yeah so uh she says she basically tells them we can't tell them anything and we have to destroy our gear and jack's like that isn't gonna happen where we are <laughs> like do you do, do, did you notice where we are sam they're not gonna like that <laughs> I, I do like his we're in a top secret facility of anonymity doesn't work well here or something <laughs> yes but then Daniel, the lovable idiot, when a guy comes in and starts asking in Russian, are you Soviet spies, without hesitating, just goes, Niet. Like an innocent little boy. And he immediately Jack's like, Daniel! He's and goes, and he's no. Like, what? He asked me if we were Soviet spies, so I said, oh. <laughs> it's delightful. And all I can think of is Michael Shanks' acting there. When he realizes that he's stupid. <laughs> yes! <laughs> it's the best thing. Uh, there's, there are several best things about this episode, and they happen in quick succession, starting here. Because that's just the beginning of a long line of great shit in this episode. Because I, I cannot get over his reaction there. Just nodding, not... Oh, I'm an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that, that was stupid. Yeah, no, we're gonna get burned at a stake. <laughs> I like that Jack didn't even have to say anything. He just had to look at Daniel and let yeah. Daniel figure it out. <laughs> what I love about it is, I, I don't know if it was improv or not. There's nothing on it trivia-wise. Jack goes, yet, Like, all pissy at Daniel as they're leaving. Just like, really? Yes. Are you fucking kidding me? And it was just, it felt improv to me because it was so, I don't know, so perfectly snarky. I'd believe it. If you told me it was scripted, though, I'd also believe you because we've already established that Brad Wright's pretty damn good with his dialogue writing, so. Absolutely. Especially with the snark stuff. He's, yeah. he's definitely just the person to go to for that. Um, I think he's proven from all the writers we've witnessed that he does the best yeah. banter. You know, that, this is, I guess, good directing because throughout the whole thing as Jack's being hauled out, you know, and he's doing his little niet, it, the camera's on him, it's focused on him, but you can still see Daniel in the background and by this point he's now started to face the wall dunce style as you can see him still yes! reacting <laughs> to what has happened. <laughs> and that's good directing he's in a so sense ashamed. of leaving him in the scene, you know, because that does help set the scene. Yeah. But yeah, so they take Jack out and um, I do think it's... First of all, I think they took Jack because it was very obvious that Jack was in charge of this group. But I also kind of appreciate, though obviously we don't see, like, ex an extreme example of this, but I appreciate that, like, 
he was the one taken, the person who can withstand, like, extreme interrogation tactics. I don't disagree. I'm not disagreeing. I, it's funny, because I, I was about to say something that sounded as if I was disagreeing, because, yeah, I'm not. I'm just also laughing that they don't also take Daniel. Not like... Because he's obviously the stupid one. Well, not just that, but they come in and speak Russian to him, and he responds in Russian. So if they think he's a Russian spy, granted, I would assume, okay, great, that means maybe they're all Russian. But you you have one who's confirmed to speak Russian, and you don't pull that one for interrogation. Yeah, that's a little... Plus, as you just noticed, he's kind of an idiot. He instinctively yeah. responded in Russian. Like... Dude, if he's a spy, this is clearly his first day. Well, maybe they think because of that that no one's giving him real information. <laughs> and also, actually, on top of that, I did re uh, remember that that guy that's interrogating Jack does actually kind of just point out that, I want you to know, this was actually a pretty embarrassing, uh, you know, impact to my career here. I think it was more him going, okay, yeah, Daniel might be the idiot, but he did actually want the guy in charge because he wanted to go, hey, fuck you. <laughs> right before he got yeah. taken away. It was literally more like a professional, hey, fuck you. I, I buy that, yeah. So, we get, after the great Niet scene, we get another fun bit of banter dialogue, uh, where he starts, like, questioning Jack, um, and Jack gives him the name James T. Kirk. I would have paid all of my money and promised the rest of the money I will ever make in my entire life. I would have paid anything if he had just gone, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell! <laughs> I just, I would have paid any, any amount of money required. Yeah. But then we have another great bit of, uh, fast-paced banter where, uh, he's like, what's the, what is the weapon that you used? And Jack's like, well, it's hard to say. And he's like, oh, state secrets? And he's like, no, just difficult, just to, difficult pronounce. to pronounce. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> it's so Jack. It's, he, he's doing such a great job of, like, not telling them anything. But also just being jacked the whole time as well. <laughs> but then, so like, they have a little bit of back and forth for a while, and then Jack's finally like, alright, you got me. My name isn't Kirk. It's Luke Skywalker. I mean, I don't blame him. Yeah. If I had the ability when to else is anybody, he gonna get the chance, right? man. Exactly. When else is he gonna get the chance? So, basically, this guy's like, okay, well, this, this guy's not gonna give me anything. But he's like, well, I guess you're gonna tell the CIA, you know? Yeah, he won't give you anything because you didn't grab the idiot. You grabbed the guy who knew what he was doing. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't grab the idiot. Although, to be fair to this man, if they'd grabbed Daniel, Daniel just would have ran rambled about nothing to him instead. Oh, God, yes. He just would have started giving a history lecture, and this guy would have been like, oh, my God, get out, get out. <laughs> that being said, though, uh, Richard Dean Anderson's acting is, as always, a fucking gem to behold is is he's yeah. just a sight to behold he, that i love everything about it, especially when the guy is you know kind of pissy and he does his little like bad tempered stubbing out of his cigarette and then jack just goes a little blow at the smoke <laughs> and, and that's literally the parting shot that's the parting thing and i'm like that's perfect and also that's one of the extended scenes that i was talking about where it was a longer take you know, process. But yeah. it wasn't, you know, anything, you know, fantastic. I don't remember anything super... I was too busy being happy about other things in this episode that... So, it, it might have had good directing. I just didn't notice because it was drowned out in other good things. So, we actually cut back to our SGC briefly. Um, and we see Hammond standing in the briefing room in the dark alone. And he's just kind of staring off at the gate. 
And then the replacement for uh, Walter, bring him back. Bring him back. I keep <laughs> calling this guy Spectacles is... because he has, like, little round glasses. Sure. Um, but he comes in and he's like, you know, basically like, oh, you know, still haven't heard anything from SG-1. They never got to the planet. So Hammond's like, okay, we'll send another team through to do their mission. Um, and he's like, well, are we going to send someone to go look for him? And he's like, no, they, they have to make their own way back this time. So it's obvious that he knows something of what's going on at this point. And the d- scene, by its nature, is forced to acknowledge that this is out of character for Hammond, and yet is uninterested in acknowledging it with any sort of dialogue explaining why, if he remembered up until this point, he's been acting at just, why changing character? Why okay? I'm so annoyed mm-hmm. I start losing my connecting words, because I'm sitting here going, I-, I- Retconning only works if it works. <laughs> if it's obvious, it's just dumb. That's not how character interactions work. It's like, now you see me, where the guy, why was he acting as if he was investigating <laughs> them if he was the guy behind it? Why was Hammond ever doing things that he did the way he did it? If he knew. The whole, I just, I can't, I'm out. I needed more than yeah, nothing. I needed, like, a hard. line. I should never think that hard. I should never think that hard, period, about anything ever, but I always do. <laughs> it's never just okay mm-hmm. to leave it alone. Uh, so they're all being, they're all in a truck, in the back of a truck together, being sent to the CIA, I guess. Um, I love this scene. And they're all talking, and Sam is basically just given up hope immediately. She's gone very clinical physicist about this, where she's like, look, we can't do anything, we can't, we're not gonna be able to get home, we can't change anything, we can't react to anything, we have to, like, disappear in this timeline. And, like, Jack's like, Hang on. <laughs> I don't like this as solution. In the, uh, and in the immortal like, words of Jack, or... Where there's a will, the, there's an or. I love this, though. Dot, I just dot, love dot, his first attempt at way. it. Just, I just love it. <laughs> or. <laughs> it just, I love his first or, where he just goes, okay, yes. there's that. Or. or. <laughs> like, like I, I, sometimes I'll, I'll say, like, I feel like there's a step between the, these two. Between one yeah. and ten, I feel like there's a few other numbers. But, yeah, but then it gets the great line of where there's a there's will, an there's or. an or. Way. Way. <laughs> but then Teal kind of, like, pops the air out of Sam's balloon a little bit by pointing out, like, if we stay here, I'm gonna be eventually taken over by my, my mature symbiote. And you can see where she's kind of going, oh, oh flaw. Right. <laughs> well, I guess you're gonna just... I guess we'll just... I, I swear to God, her facial expression reminded me of Walking Dead a little bit of that moment. Of like, well, I mean... when We're gonna kill you to protect when you. When someone yeah. gets bit, we all know what happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. that kind of thing. I feel like her face is just kind of like, I mean, and then we'll take care of that problem when it happens. Teal, like, I'm, oh, I mean, yeah. I'm She's sorry. She's definitely still thinking that solution, but I do think uh, that there's credit to Amanda Tapping and her facial acting. I think there's an element there where she kind of... Because she obviously wasn't happy about the idea of being stuck in 1969, but, like, she was just kind of like, yeah, we're, we're stuck here, you know? But then when she's reminded that, like, Teal There's other like, people. Medically can't, yeah, like, Teal medically can't stay here forever, you know? There's this kind of, like, regret in her eyes, like, ooh, <laughs> you know? What I love is, here's the thing, I, not to gloss over any of that, it's just funny to me because that's not even slightly what like stands out in my memory of the scene. The only thing that does is the banter from the or scene because Daniel is trying to keep up with them the entire time. Because she says her thing, Daniel sa- uh, Jack says or, and she goes, no, there is no or, and Daniel goes, there's no or? 
there's an or. There's an or. <laughs> it's so rapid. It just, there, there is an or. So, so there's no or. He's watching, or. He's watching his parents argue. Exactly. It was just great. It was little things. <laughs> he's watching mom and dad argue about going to the zoo today. Um, Every yeah, time he takes so... a child role in this, it makes that potential threesome just creepy, and I don't like it. <laughs> well, unfortunately, sometimes it happens. <laughs> they, they like to fluctuate wildly between... Uh, Daniel is one of two, one of Jack's children, and Daniel is dating Jack. Isn't that called? Oh no, God no! Why are you doing this? Cut that out. That better be cut out. <laughs> just beep yourself again, so people can wonder what the fuck you just said. <laughs> oh. So um, there's a flat tire, and. Uh, the the guy who found the note comes around the back like he tells the other guys to check on the flat tire and he comes around the back to watch the prisoners <laughs> i was like what word am i looking for <laughs> the people and they so have locked in. in a truck yes and so he goes in and i think the actor actually does a pretty decent job of doing like a young hand at the same voice. note where i'm like i mean aside from the eye color and i mean i, I just really wasn't expecting red hair I, it threw me Honestly, it tracked because you know what? This was some this was some mathematical improbability at work that they ended up here in this place at this time with somebody they actually knew. That's how, like, of yeah. all the time and place they could have ended up, kind of shit, you know? So absolutely, it just makes sense that the rarest hair type <laughs> is the one helping them. It just that just continues a continuity a theme, a thematic element of this episode is just irredeemable math. Yeah. So he basically confronts them with the note he found. And Sam, like, looks at him, like, hesitates to, like, answer him at first, but then sees that he's got, you know, a name badge on, and it says Hammond, and she realizes, oh, this is our Hammond. So they explain the time travel thing, and, uh, I like how you're like, yeah, everyone always goes before the moon landing, before these big events. Well, they're in 1969, so when they're trying to convince him that they're from the future, they're like, oh, 1969, what happened in 1969? And he's like, well, the moon landing. And he's like, yeah, the moon landing. And Hammond's like, everyone knows about the moon landing. That's not it. And he's like, oh, well, how many people know you watched the moon landing from your dad's hospital bed, blah, 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 or uncle? Yeah, I think it was grandfather. Like I think it was a wink in terms of just coincidence that it was a grandfather in an episode featuring grandfather paradox. The grandfather ha, ha, ha. complex. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I enjoy every time Jack uses his close relationship with Hammond to convince him of, you know, that it's him or whatever, that then he knows him. Yeah. Like, they used it in the robot episode. They've used it a couple times now, and I like it every Speaking time. Speaking of continuum, actually, I, I actually only like one version of those kinds of things, and that's when it doesn't work. <laughs> Which is J Daniel trying it desperately on uh, But it's on Jack. Timeline's changed. Timeline. Yeah, to be fair, it it's because the timeline has changed, and Charlie's not dead that it pisses him off. But the thing yeah. is... I think if it had been true, yeah, maybe it would have worked. But I still feel like he would have had a really shit reaction to it. It could just be literally because of this fundamental difference that's the only reason why. I still think it's funny. I don't care. I love it when people try the personal details thing and it works badly. And it backfires. <laughs> it backfires. Because not only does it not work, but you're like, now you're somehow, somehow you're now even worse off. Right. Like, potentially threatening the guy's son, as it sounds like. Like, what do you mean by, what do you yeah. mean by kid's dead? What do you know that I don't know? 
<laughs> it's like oh whoops <laughs> like, yeah, but I need to go call somebody <laughs> like Jesus <laughs> so yeah yeah I uh I appreciate the element of it when it happens it's like oh yeah look you're demonstrating how people actually know life and when it's mm-hmm. you know depending on how far along it is in the show it's always a cool moment to go like oh yeah I remember all that but it's funnier when it doesn't work yeah I like it I like it mostly because it once again reminds us that like Jack and Hammond have a history honestly I like it because it kind of brings into mind I think a little bit Sure, maybe a bit of continuity about Hammond. Maybe he told Jack the story because he knew that it would come in, you know, handy. Uh huh. And on top of that, he knew that it would demonstrate to his young self that that's a level of trust. Yeah. But what I like about it is it's potentially some extra continuity where they, I guess, were talking about his backstory, you know, what brought him to the Stargate, that kind of thing. And maybe Hammond had a backstory where he was always fascinated by space travel because ever since he was this age when he watched the moon landing at his grandfather's dying bedside i mean that would have been that's all established for me as potential implied backstory and i like that little little shit like yeah, that. yeah no that's great but I'm, I'm not kidding it's not only crucial to setting up story and doing it in a legitimate manner but it's something that you can immediately see maybe a trail of connection even if it's bullshit but at least it's kind of there yeah i just you know that just seems more solid so i i like that i could find a pretty easy connection right there between Hammond and Jack, why they were talking about it, not just the trust level, but the levels of it. And yeah, as usual, put entirely too much thought into it, but it was, you know, you know, it was in the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. So, um, they basically convince him and Jack, uh, finishes convincing it by going, you gonna listen to yourself or not about the note that Hammond wrote to himself? Um, they convince him to help and Hammond gives them the zat. Like, oh, what could you do with this? And Jack's like, oh, this is fine. This is just enough, you know? And so- We do have a moment where he, uh, as he's uncuffing them, he finds her cut. Because it establishes that memory of it. And that's where I'm just, like, writing down, if this is supposed to be from that episode, this is 100% not where she got cut in that episode. Liz, <laughs> literally, that's when I had the note yeah, as well. Just, wait. The what? fact that Sam had the hand wound <laughs> makes me think this is supposed to happen immediately yeah. after one false step. Right? But if it is, that's- that's 100% not where, she got not cut, where yeah. that happened, but okay. But yeah, so he gives them the zat, and uh, Jack knocks out the other guys um, with the zat, obviously. And then he's like, okay, so where's our gear at? And Hammond's like, oh, it's in the truck right behind you. It should be coming up soon. And he's like, okay, lay on the ground, look like you also got hit. Um, and then the truck comes up and sees, like, the open back of this truck and the guy's lying on the ground unconscious and they're like what the heck and come out and that and jack shoots them and then he goes to the back finds his gear um somehow picks a lock using his axe. yeah that's my note is here is every time i see this gun in action i have to ask how the fuck the parameters of this thing work like what it's insane what are these parameters are are they are they fluid does it (laughs) why does this work also, do they even do they even actually use what we consider to be normal fundamentals of electricity? Like it looks electric and it sounds electric and it somewhat behaves electric. But all I could think was we think it's electric. What if it isn't? Because it also, you know, like, you know, disintegrates shit. So what if there's more to it than that? Not only does why does it pick a lock, but also when you zap a, a trunk, why does any of the stuff in it not get at all affected? Like EMP'd even, like for example, like he tosses her one of the, you know, the I am um, the GDOs, you know, the IDC things, and which I guess I'm, I'm I guess I'm just gonna get over the fact they keep calling it GDO, even though they never really refer to it like that in any of the other you know later stuff. But whatever, it does make sense, you know. The IDC is the thing you send, not the thing it is. So whatever. 
But yeah, he tosses her a GDO, and I kept thinking, okay, I I'm not saying it has to be fried, but why isn't it fried? What, what, what is the physics with this gun? Please, for the love of God, explain anything about it, please. Just please. Nobody knows. Just please. That's the answer. Nobody fucking says, knows. Once again, he saw it work on a missile, and he's like, might as well work on a trunk. It makes sense to work on a missile. That thing is very delicate. I mean, Apollo 13 happened for real. That isn't just a movie. A, th a tiny little component goes bad, and all of a sudden you have no oxygen. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. So I see this kind of stuff, and I just go, overall, what? What is, why is, how is? I, mm. Uh-huh. What is, how is, why is? Yeah, every time I see this thing in action, it adds more to the question of, what? Yeah, like, it was one thing when Tilk shot the missile, but then it's like, how does that pick a lock, Jack? How? How? A missile filled with delicate little shit, I could see. Unless it was an electronic lock and we just didn't see it? I mean, I thought, I assumed it was a padlock, but I don't know if we actually see yeah. the lock. You are correct. I use this a lot until somebody, until I see for a fact this is actually a problem. It doesn't, I don't actually technically have something to stand on. But it's, why does it work? Why, why does, yeah. why is this thing sometimes able to do electroconvulsive therapy? God, and, don't bring that and up, why please. is it sometimes a, a lockpick? And why is it sometimes the thing that shuts down missiles? I mean, what is, how is, why is, Mel? I can't answer that. I didn't write Sometimes it. the vague right, is right. too vague. Sometimes it's just yeah. too vague. So he, you know, gets the judo out, judo out um, closes it, and he's like, so all of our gear is in this box, right? And he's like, yeah. He's like, okay. And then he uses that, the zat the way it's meant to be used and shoots the trunk a couple more times until it vaporizes. So this one is less of an issue because it could just... Disintegration is still disintegration. But you know how, for example, if you want to just, you know, melt a body, you need to use a certain, you know, certain combination of chemicals, right? I did think the same thing. I'm like, oh, so it works on synthetic right? materials the same way it works on biological uh, yeah, up materials. Up until this point, I it guess. was established this thing worked on organic material. So why the fuck is it working exactly as intended, not only on non-organic material, in sorry, inorganic material, but also on metal, which this is why earlier I brought up the fun, you know, we think this is electricity. What is, how is, why is, is it electricity or not? Is it super electricity or, or what? Super electricity. And if it is super electricity, great. But I'd love a line where someone said, this is super electricity, because at least then I that would somewhat curb the question of, oh, okay, so this works on metal trunks now. Sure. Which, by the way, again, it apparently protected the gear inside from a, a shockwave, so it's obviously dispersing mm -hmm. a little. So why does it still work as intended? Because in a body, it doesn't disperse the same way a metal trunk does. I have questions. I will say we do see... Um, <laughs> angry questions. We do see more evidence of the power from this dispersing in this episode. Because there's that time later on where he shoots at the guy behind the metal fence, and the guy's still See, fine moving because the fence gathered most of the energy. Right, so they go back into, yeah, it's basically electricity, guys. I'm like, okay. Except for when it isn't. And I would love for you to tell me why when it isn't, why it isn't. Killing me here, guys. At least, at least once or twice throughout Star Trek, they'll every now and then pepper in phrases like phrases like a phaser, for example, is a concentrated particle stream or something like that. You know, like they'll <laughs> at least cobble together together a half-assed something something. Uh huh. They don't do that here. The most they go no, into they it about don't it, explain that. The most guns. they do is explain that the name is complicated to say. It's like great. Yep. That's like one third of the way to helpful, Jack. 
So yeah, I just, uh, yeah, yeah, I have questions, and this scene highlights them once again for me. Um, so he, so Jack is basically like, do you have any money that, you know, we can, because we, we're gonna need money. <laughs> uh, and Hammond's like, a, a little. And doesn't even pause, like, just gives him the money. <laughs> Takes it all out of his hand. Yeah, Jack's like, cool, I'll pay you back with interest. And then he's like, also, I apologize for this. <laughs> and then shoots him. What kills me here is, uh, right before he gets, you know, right before his career gets saved, to quote Jack, Sam says, you know, reiterates, hey, by the way, once again, you cannot tell anybody. Yeah, exactly. And I know that the dialogue choice they used was, I know that their intent was to convey that he was listening because he goes, yeah, I want to be a general someday. Because he goes, General Hammond has a nice ring to it. And all I can think is... Yeah. You never actually answered her. You just went on to reflect about your future ambitions. Like, uh, that's not that's, that's not actually an answer. Like, she goes, hey, so you understand you can't talk talk about this. You can't tell anybody. This is very important. I like yeah, general. Tell everyone. Yeah, general I got it. General is a it. nice <laughs> title. That's, that works for me. And then walks away. And I, I like, all I can see is myself, if I were in that position, going quivering with, wait, wait, wait no, sir. Hello? Hi? No? No? Come back, come back, come back, please. Like, <laughs> we're not done here. I'm like, IG-11, like, I can't proceed until you respond with the appropriate response. <laughs> I need you to give me an appropriate response here, which is an actual response, because what you said doesn't actually respond at all. Yep. So yeah, I got what they were going for, but at the same time, I sat there going, I, mm, I question your methods. But yeah, so uh, they leave him unconscious to save his career, um, and all walk off into the woods, um, and Jack is talking about how, okay, we need to find a Stargate. I love his plans. His plans are always the best. <laughs> I love how they're like, well, you know, where, how are we supposed to find the Stargate, Jack? And he's like, well, worst case scenario, we know there's one in Antarctica. And, Ch and Daniel's like, right, Antarctica. Let's just go to Antarctica. That's, that's, that's doable. That's what I wrote down that Jack's plans are always the best because his first plan of action is find the Stargate. That's it. That, that's his plan. Yeah. <laughs> that's the whole width and breadth of it. And I love it because Daniel's like, oh, because he goes into full wife mode here of just, oh, oh, that's yes, very, that's, literally. That, that, that's really, that's, that's, that's very helpful, Jack. Um, a couple of questions. <laughs> How, when, where, why, with what, with whom, with, again, with what, um, um, are you insane? Uh. And then my favorite part about it is, is as he keeps going, Jack then says, well, the worst case is we go to Antarctica. And Daniel goes, oh, <laughs> great plan B. So much more concise. You know, you know, they told me marriage was going to be a journey. I just didn't know I was Persephone and that journey was into hell. Uh, the only thing missing is like Sam giving Daniel a, I know, luck or something. Honestly, you're not wrong. Like the wives that both like agreeing like, yeah, this is bad. Like, don't, don't look to me. I'm not getting into this. <sighs> so, um, they're, they're crossing the road to get to a ditch so that basically, because Jack's like, no one's going to stop for, for, for three men so you mean and a woman in, in fatigues. That was so, the most uh, we're accurate We're going to hide thing. in a ditch and Sam, you hitchhike. I didn't even need to explain it. There was no, no explanation required. I saw that and I literally just started chuckling because as sexist like, obviously. as it is, yeah, this is the most accurate part of this episode. This is, yeah, this, it's very, no it's discipline. very aware. It's very aware because like they don't even say it. They just expect everyone watching to understand why this is happening. And we do. We understand entirely why the three men are hiding in a ditch while the woman hitchhikes. Also, can I just commend the shit again? 
quiet directing, quiet acting, but both excellent because they just let the scene flow without any explanation. And the continuation of no one questioning why Sam's doing the the thumbs upping. I almost said thumbing, but that was way yeah. worse. Um, <laughs> but speaking of posing, she immediately cocks her hip and puts her yes! into this little like <laughs> thing, like hello. And I just respected the shit out of it. I also respect it for not telling her to take her jacket off. But yeah, so they're like talking while she's doing the hitchhiking. It's, it's a, honestly, it's a well-framed scene because they're all hiding in a ditch talking to, while Sam is doing the hitchhiking from the road and they're all just having a conversation the whole time. What I love, by the way. From those distances. Well, my favorite thing yeah. about it is as they're going into the ditch, my last thing on it, is just the construction again, just is great here, where I forget exactly what Jack says, but he makes a comment about how... Uh, what year something was or whatever. Oh, and Daniel says, says I was four, I was and, four and, a half and a half in 1969. And Jack just gives that look of just like, oh, that's right. I'm a cradle robber. <laughs> baby. And my favorite thing about it is the second time around because I was giggling too hard to catch it all the first time. So I came back to watch it the second time and I, did, I saw Sam's reaction the second time and her, she was doing a, whole, a literal tongue-in-cheek. I'm not going to tell him how old I was in 1969. That's literally what Sam's thinking right in that moment. It was all just, it, they let the scene happen, and it was very good, very natural, yeah. very real, and it was, it all just played very well. Dude, my note for that literally is, Daniel is a baby and reminds Jack he was only four in 1969. <laughs> Jack's got a type, young and smart. Yeah, <laughs> listen, there are worse types to have. So, um, Daniel suggests that they find Catherine, uh, and Sam's like, she can't, she has to meet you for the first time when she, you know, brings you in for the Stargate program. She can't meet you now. And he's like, well, we can, we don't have to come as ourselves. We can go as, like, foreigners. And, and, uh, Jack's like, really? Like, what kind? And Daniel just looks at him, again, one of the other always quoted lines in this episode. I don't know, Jack. I speak 23 languages. Pick one. I would have picked any other language than German. <laughs> Here's the thing. I read in the trivia that in Germany, he ha speaks with a French accent instead. Oh my gosh. I, I petitioned that French would have been a better choice here. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Because here's the thing about German. It's a very, you know, like, every everything about it is sharp. It's got a lot of sharp edges to it. Yeah. I don't know. It impacts the air differently than other languages, if that makes sense. And so when you're not pronouncing it right, you don't even have to be an expert in German to hear it. Not to insult him, but even I actually did look it up because I wanted. I was like, this, this, this is this is bad, right? Like this is bad. I saw a quote from somebody on supposedly he said this at like a convention or whatever or in an interview where he answered a question about speaking different languages and how it tripped him up on the show. And he said, "Yeah, no, I butchered quite a few. The one that comes to mind is German. The one that comes to mind is German." <laughs> and I read that and went, "Yeah, there it is." That I appreciate that he's he's self aware about his pronunciation. Yeah, so that that we already knew that as a thing just by. Evidence, it makes me but, feel yeah. better about how we always rag on him about it. It's like, oh, so you're aware of it. Excellent. Why did they go with German? <laughs> like, seriously, why did they go with German? The only thing I can think is that, um, like, we always kind of thought, we, we've talked about before, like, what Catherine's origins are. Oh, duh, it's because of the actor. on, I'm, like, I'm German. An I'm an idiot. It's because of the actor, the original actor for Catherine. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Duh. It was right there in front of me. I All think the pieces. That's why were right they went there. with German. Yeah. Duh, I'm an idiot. 
That's why she speaks German I don't blame you, German because every him. other Catherine hasn't had any accent. Well, yeah, because, so. Yeah, yeah, so at least I have that going for me. Plus, again, my whole thing was I was freaking out, because I always forget that young Catherine was played, this version of young Catherine, was played by Eli's mom. She plays Eli's mom later in Stargate Universe. And can I just say now, for the record, she is fantastic. Ooh. She's only in, like, the show only went for two seasons. She's only in, like, three episodes, four episodes. And she kills the shit out of it. I am just, I, she's a showstopper, scene stealer. She does a, she does a decent job as Catherine, too. I say decent because she's more focused on playing a character that's been in already two different iterations at this point with a lot of other weird backstory yeah. and... Rough. It's yeah, rough. There's, there's a lot of other shit going on there. And again, she was given, like, five minutes. I can only I can only expect so much from her portrayal. So it wasn't like she yeah. was, you know, Oscar performance worthy, but she, I don't know, I believe she was Catherine. I mostly believe that she was Eli's yeah, mom, but that's fine. my fault, not hers. So yeah. Sounds fair. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I feel like that's why he did German. <laughs> Especially because he was going along with this whole story where his dad knew her dad. That, and that was good, you know, using the details that they know of each other. That's another good way of doing it without actually... Yeah. Doing the whole I know you in a creepy stalker kind yeah. of way. Uh -huh. So that, that's a good take. And I honestly, the next thing I'm going to say is also a compliment, which is bad accent or not, I love how he does such a great job making this actually seem kind of legit and innocent. Literally up until the moment at the end where she says that it's locked away somewhere and he just does the worst. Where? <laughs> the worst fake nonchalance. And he, just, he just immediately goes to stir his tea and just goes with the creepiest smile. He goes, and where is that? And he looked kind of like a serial killer because he was so trying not to look desperate that he just went full Daniel yes. and he was just going, and where might that be? <laughs> With his little awkward tea stir. And it's just, it's, it's, it's so Daniel. So despite the fact that they're using a woman to do hitchhiking, it's still not like getting results. And Teal gets impatient and he's like, I, I don't like this. And he just walks in the middle of the road and just stands there. And lucky for him, it's a hippie truck that's going by at this point. And the guy's like, we would have stopped for you, brother. And just, like, invites all of them in. Although I do like that, like, he, he, he invites them in. And then just, like, Daniel and Jack come out of the freaking ditch. And it's just like, oh, there's there's four of you. Okay. <laughs> so so then uh, the guy, you know, does the, you can sit up front. Yeah, no, brother. when I was a kid, that whooshed right over my head. And, of course, it goes over Tilk's head, too, because, yeah. <laughs> Because he, he's not involved yeah. in that history yeah. and at all. And they had the tattoo part. Although it still, of course, applies to him because of the gold a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and then, and then that's why um, they had the tattoo conversation where he goes, look at that thing on your head. To a false yeah. god. Yeah. But yeah, so th their conversation got first. We, we cut between, like, Teal telling the driver about his tattoo, and then we go to the back. He's like, yeah, right on. And then we go to the back, and you see uh, that, like... <laughs> It definitely feels like the hippie girl is crushing on Daniel. Yeah. Because she's just like, I, I feel like she's just trying to be like, kind of like, ooh, whimsical kind of expression or whatever. Because she does it after a moment, go like to Sam, like, like, oh, I love your hair. But when she's smiling at Daniel in the beginning, it does look like just lovesick eyes. Not only that, but the worst part about it is she has a line, what'd you do? All, you all do? I got was some serious Manson vibes at that point. I was just like, "Yes, woman, why she do you feel like a Manson girl about this?" And then towards the end, I got you know the high vibe, and I was like, "Oh, she was out of her gourd." Okay, but that's not what came. I wonder across. if they had to. 
I wonder if they had to add the part where she turns to Sam and says, I like, I love your hair. I wonder if they did because she's a bad the way she was acting with Daniel just seemed like she was in love with him. And it was like, are you sure about this? <laughs> Say something high. <laughs> just be high for a second. Right. But, yeah, you're not wrong. It does feel kind of like a last second thing. Because I, I only got the vibe at the end also. Not at all during any of her real interactions. Yeah, I was just like, why is she staring at him like that? I feel like that also, I feel like Daniel was also kind of like, please, I've I've been down this road before, I can't. <laughs> but, yeah, but then there's another, we cut back to the front again, and there's this great conversation um, between the hippie and Teal'c, where he's like, yeah, we're going to the concert, and, you know, uh, and he's like, oh, so are you AWOL? Because <laughs> obviously they're all wearing freaking fatigues. Fatigues. Yeah. And Tilk's just kind of, like, looks at him, and he's like, no, it's cool, it's cool, man. You know, after the concert, we're planning on going up, we're, we're thinking of, you know, crossing the border up into Canada. And Tilk's like, for what purpose? And he's like, you know, the war. The war with Canada? <laughs> I love his reaction. No. <laughs> it wasn't- I love how even a hippie can't handle Tilk. I don't know if you can be at war with Canada. The Germans tried once at, I forgot the battle, I think it was like, yeah, Vimy. And the Canadians were told to, like, hold a hill, and instead they decimated the German forces. They used to be, like, brutal. Yeah, it's the accent. They fool people with the accent, Mounties, and then they just, they go in for the kill. But yeah, that's, that's Canadians. They're secretly terrifying. It's it's because they have to contend with moose. That's fair, that's fair. I have fair. to fight the urge to say meese every time. <laughs> Mises? No, because it's goose and geese, so I always feel like I should say moose and meese. So, then we get the travel montage, uh, because they have to get from Colorado? Yes. Colorado to New York. So we see, like, roads, and we see them stop for a little while to get new clothes. Montage they time! They hippie, hippie themselves up, yeah. Tilt gets a hair. <laughs> I don't know, I, I'm guessing it's supposed to be implied that this was a wig. Like, I'm guessing this is a wig. Oh, it had to be. There's no way his what? hair could grow that fast. I had touched on the fact that it annoys me that if he does healing, there should be some detail explaining why he doesn't have, like, rapid hair growth as a result of it or something, because that's often a thing that comes with rapid healing and shit. Um, so, like, let's say he can spontaneously grow hair. I would believe that. I would just have loved it if it was established. But yeah, it's also, you know, wigs exist, so we're good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I assumed it was a wig, but I don't know, man. Uh, so then we get, and apparently Teal'c learns how to drive at some point during this Dude, road trip. I, I love the scene. Everyone takes turns driving. I just like how when there's that shot where Daniel's next to him in the front seat, and it looks like he's very anxiously in there, and I'm just going like, yeah, yes! that's a mom, going, like, okay, 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 okay. And honestly, that face was also telling me, this car, it's, it's 69, it's a VW wagon, so yeah. don't crash, because if you do, there's just, there's just death. I'm I'm just dead at this point. <laughs> You'll be fine after a while. I, I will not. <laughs> so after all those montages, uh, we get them all at a campfire, um, and Sam has basically worked out the science on her end, where she's like, yeah, we time-traveled because of the solar flare. That's what the note is telling us about. It's telling us about some solar flares, and, you know, like, even talks about how, like, they're like, well, how do we know it's going to send us back to the right point? And she's like, oh, Hammond must have picked ones that are on the opposite side of the sun, so it should send us back forward instead of backwards or anything like that. We don't need to get into the science because we already talked at length about science. Here's here's where it kills me. This is the point where I'm, I, this is where I started looking it up because I was like, no, 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 because first off, aren't players, like, 
hella unpredictable. Let's say he was able to find it. How was he able to do all that math to figure out what the conditions were that needed to be met? And then on top of that, they almost always eject other shit with them. So what, you, you can't, you, I know you're looking back in time, right? But you can't actually know what else was really ejected with them. And let's say it doesn't affect the wormhole. How do you know that? Okay, I can't answer the second half because they they're the show can't answer right, that. Right, not meh. But I don't have any impression that he did the math because during this conversation, Sam talks about after the Abydos mission, they thought about different methods to use the gate, and one of the methods that she was tasked with exploring was using it for time travel, and she looked at solar flares and that kind of stuff. Because of course, because of course, of course, they that was one of the things they. No, until now, she didn't even know that was a thing. Why would they have known? Why would they have known as that was a thing to, like, bring up? Because it was... so No, okay, this has to do, again, with the whole, well, there has to be an egg at some point to begin with, so it doesn't ultimately work with the time travel thing. But they're suggesting that Hammond pushed for that specifically, so oh, she was did she do say Hammond? I, th I thought it was like the Pentagon. Yes. I thought it was Hammond. No, Hammond. Oh, sorry, I didn't know it was Hammond. I, was, I, I misheard. I thought she was talking about, like, People who were beyond not attached to this and had no way of knowing, much less how would she have known, kind of thing. No, she specifically okay, says cool. that we're good. she specifically says that he probably had her do um, that research so that he would have the information for her gotcha. later. So on. I got mad first, and then while she was explaining why it wasn't a problem, I was already typing out why I was mad. That that tracks. That happens. Every, <laughs> that, that does happen every now and then. So yeah, I just missed the dialogue yeah. on that one. Cool. So that's not as much of, a, of an uh, annoyance for me. It's still odd that this literally yeah. never came up before. Now, like it's that moment of oh, of of course, because of course that happened, and you've never. Uh, I know you're smart and have a lot of stuff in that brain. I get that. The timing is oddly t is oddly convenient. It's almost as if you didn't remember it. Because you didn't know until now. <laughs> so it's just that kind of shit where she just didn't bring it up because yeah, she didn't know Yeah, she's never brought now. up using it for time travel. Ever. It's now. never even come up. Not in the sense of, like, for example, when Matter of Time came up and they started talking about the physics of that. That would have been a time for that dialogue to surface. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yet this is literally the first time we're hearing of this. So, cute, but nah. It's just an excuse nah. for, yeah, you're right. It's just an excuse for it to not be weird that he's able to find these uh, flares. Yeah. So, yeah, so you're right on that part, which is, I mean, I'm still annoyed by the convenience of it, but it's much less stupid to me than I was like, what the fuck is, how? Yeah. <laughs> like, but also, I, I do stand yeah, by like one there, thing, which is there's the, an answer the, for yeah. it. It still doesn't yeah, quite no. work, but they did yeah. give us Something, an answer for, for it. The, uh, for one of the things. I, I do still stand by the yeah. fact that, again, almost all flares have a coronal mass ejection with them. And they don't talk about this at all, probably because I don't know if there's any way to, like, track that shit uh, in the past. As in, like, I don't even know if there's, like, a, if it shows up. I, it, the way it shows up is different than a flare. And it, it's also yeah. not something we look for, I don't think. Like, in terms of, like, measuring it and, you know, recording it. So I really don't think, mm -hmm. I really, I, I honestly, part of me is kind of wondering right now if maybe they did think of it and then went, oh, shit, this would definitely affect this. Well, that doesn't exist. So we're just gonna, <laughs> whoop. Maybe. Because it's literally, it's never come up, as far as I'm aware, I don't think it's ever come up once in any of the Stargates. Because I'm thinking about it now, and I'm just going, wait, weird, weird. I haven't ever heard about this. And yet, <laughs> it's funny, because in real life, I do know of this as a concept, and just now I'm going, oh, yeah, there's that, I don't care about it because it's Stargate. So I haven't really bothered to ever piece it together but until now. But yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense. 
you should at least give me something because you're talking about how <laughs> this shit's affecting gravity and slingshotting and so forth and you're talking to me, talking to me and telling me that that other dense tons of shit that's also getting ejected at that wormhole is inconsequential great cool why <laughs> why also because. how does the gate system know to deal with this how does it know how to maintain in such incredibly uncertain circumstances at all time. I mean, if you think it's if you think it's fun having an Alexa listening at all time, can you imagine having to design a system that has to be literally alert and aware at all times for any manner of fuck, of fuckiness to the point where if a flare gets in the way, you'll still get the people places. You'll still do the wormhole thing. Something tells me that's pretty fucking impressive so technically i'm not complaining i'm once again just commending the ancients but i'm starting to think the ancients were borderline magic yeah i mean they do a sense like so. honest, <laughs> honestly at this point it's just they're just fucking magic at this point it's so beyond me as a concept that's like sure abracadabra yeah. go so yeah we get that whole explanation from sam and um and she's basically like so those times are times where we could safely travel back because he knows those two solar flares for us they should, if theoretically, get us back to the right time. Um, why only two? 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 It's so weird. You can't even establish a pattern until three. You should have given them at least three to show that you can actually genuinely demonstrate your knowledge of flare activity in that time. If they can see three, correctly predicted, you know... Yep, this guy seems to know how to look at a screen and write down the number. Good job. Let's go on number four. But no, 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 no. You get literally two chances, and after that, you are utterly fucked. Have fun. That, that, one, <laughs> that one bugs me, because there's no amount of dialogue that could fix that. Because why two? I don't know, man. I can't answer yeah, that Yeah, that one you. drives me crazy. So the hippies were listening to this whole conversation, <laughs> and uh, they're like, hey, what the heck is going on? Mostly the man. But I do... I love that Jack, who was the only one conscious enough to be aware of the 69, 70s of that era, knows exactly how to talk to this hippie. <laughs> or he's like, you're right. When we said we were on the run from the authority, we didn't mean the authority of this planet. <laughs> and I just tells him that they're aliens who had to hide on Earth, but now it's t we have to go back home now. <laughs> I just like how he cracks up, and, and Daniel's trying to help, and he goes, but not the establishment, and he goes, no, not them. Yeah, exactly! <laughs> I love later on they do something like that again when they're they're parting from the hippies, and Jack's like searching for a word, he's like, it's been... And Daniel's like, groovy. <laughs> Daniel's like, I've seen a film about the 70s. <laughs> I could totally see Daniel being that, that little nerd in the 70s, just going around going groovy, groovy, <laughs> that groovy. That little nerd, aww. Tell me, tell me I I'm wrong. I can buy it, yeah. yeah. I believe it. But yeah, um, so, so they they convince these guys that they're aliens. Uh, and I do love Daniel in his helping, goes, we need to be in a place called New York by tomorrow. <laughs> Daniel was having fun. I judge, but I know without a fucking doubt that if I were in that same position, that's exactly what I would be doing, you too. You would have done it, too. <laughs> it's, you can't, it's so tempting. It's so tempting. Yes. And he, and the guy's still, like, the guy's still kind of, like, not totally buying it. 
because it is a wild thing to hear, even if you are on LSD. Yeah, there's the um, nomad drugs make that so, seem less unlikely. Yeah, so Jack proves it to him by pulling out the Zat gun and shooting the fire. <laughs> They're just, they don't care about it making sense with the Zat gun in this episode. I'm gonna point out that that was probably late July, so just the height of fire season right there, but, you know, let's yeah. just shoot super electricity at a barely contained campfire around what I was laughingly calling a an obvious set, but now I'm just calling very close trees. Yeah. So, yeah, um, so... Good, good plan, Jack. So they convince these guys um, to help them, you know, finish their mission. And Jack and Teal'c are dropped off at an observatory to confirm that the first time and date stamp on that note is, in fact, a solar flare. So, Mel, I have a very important question for you. Yes. Why does Sam remind Jack what filter to use and then proceed to not go with them? Why does the astrophysicist go with Daniel to demonstrate what a German accent doesn't sound like? Uh, so she can sit there and pointedly not say anything because she does not know German herself. Yeah. It's very confusing to me, and I think it's literally a combination of they wanted to have the team split up into two actual teams, and two, it could be perceived that because of the time period, and because, honestly, today it's creepy if you're alone. If you're a woman alone in your home, <laughs> and a strange man comes to your door, it's- I, I don't know if I feel comfortable just letting him in. Yeah. You don't even have to sound like a bad rendition of, I don't know, name a Nazi. <laughs> name a bad <laughs> Nazi stereotype from a bad movie where, the, uh, where they're the villains. Hans Gruber? No, that's a good stereotype, and he's also not a Nazi. He's <laughs> just German. Yeah, I don't know, man. I can't help you. I, I maintain the only thing that makes sense there is it could just be that they wanted to show that Catherine's not an idiot for letting a strange man into her home. But I got nothing on top of that, Mel, because Sam doesn't speak German, so she can't contribute to any comfort level for Catherine hearing no. her mother tongue. Just weird that she that Sam and she doesn't go with them to the observatory. The, the astrophysicist definitely should have gone. Also... No, I was gonna say, Teal'c's non-threatening, especially a lot of tie-dye, but he's also like six foot something. Yeah, right. no, no, screw that. Literally any other combination would have made sense. Even Jack not being there would have made more sense, because Jack, yeah, he knows what telescopes are, but he's not the astrophysicist. It's just weird. <laughs> Alright, I'm moving on. I'm over it. Yeah. I'm, I'll never be over it, but I'm moving on. So, uh, I do like, um... I do actually like that we have a callback to the movie here for a minute where uh, Daniel remembers the incorrect translation on the cover stone and refers to the Stargate as a doorway to heaven. Yes. I like that. Their attention to detail is is really on point for a majority. Yeah. There's a couple, of there's actually quite a few goofs according to the trivia, but I tend to, with, that, with, with few exceptions, I tend to ignore those because unless they're funny, it's like, yeah, but whatever, because anachronisms are only so funny. Like, every time somebody like, complains about belt loops, I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to see that guy's bare ass, so let him have pants up, please. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to question little things like that, because I just don't care. Anyway, um, with this, I'd like the additional attention to detail, where it's, that would not just be an anachronism, that'd be fucking dumb if he used different language than what yeah. she knows. Like, it's just continuing the thing that they've literally been doing throughout this episode, which is, look at all these things I know about you. To demonstrate mm -hmm. that I exist. Yeah, but without in this it place. having the personal touch, because he's not letting her know. Yeah, you know? it does. It does. It's, it's smart. So again, this is why I didn't really get much of a threatening vibe, because he wasn't doing like the creepy stalker thing. Like, if you let no. a strange man into your home and you were alone, 
And then on top of that, he started telling you all these things he knows about you as a way to prove that he knows you. There's literally no way that you would not be screaming and running in terror. Yeah. So Jack and Teal figure out, yes, that was a solar flare, so we need to hit the next one. Um, Daniel, speaking alone because Sam can't speak German, uh, manages to find out where the gate is currently being being held. With the most awkward tease. Yes. He was doing so well. He was actually seeming, you know, genuinely normal, legit, innocent, and then he goes, and where would that be? (laughs) I was like, oh no, Daniel. My note for that whole scene is, Daniel, I speak 23 languages. Also, Daniel speaks almost entirely in English with Catherine. Sam doesn't speak at all. (laughs) It was crazy in how well it was acted, because it was Daniel in a nutshell. It was tragically yes. Daniel, and it was just yes. almost as much as that pronunciation so, was tragically Michael. So they all meet up, and um, Daniel's like, it's in Washington, D.C., uh, which, honestly, I, I completely believe it would make sense. Because they've, they've said before that, like, the Pentagon's, like, deeply involved with this whole pro- project and everything, so I buy it. You know, I, I both buy and abhor the concept of keeping such important but also deeply shelved items anywhere but in the i was just dissing this movie now but i now i actually appreciate this anything other than an indiana jones level type warehouse where it's a big old dusty warehouse in the middle of fucking nowhere surrounded by nothing and only death on top of that if you can even because of like the well mostly just thinking of the prairie dogs for some reason that's dangerous i don't know why um no it's honestly just surrounded by nothing you know the the death is the heat i guess the point is yeah innocuous nothing why the why the fuck would that be in washington dc except for no other reason than because you know your flare you 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 wrote yourself into a corner by not you're not providing backups and only having two flares back to back and if it was in the middle of nowhere you'd have to go drive again and you're on the east coast good job Mm -hmm. (laughs) what are you gonna do rewrite your episode or make it be in dc i guess it's gonna be in dc like cool whatever fine so they get they drop them off at dc and as they're leaving the hippie's like wait take me with you and they're like we we can't do that dude (laughs) he's like and and they find out that he's been drafted I do love the conscientious objector thing. I I come from hippies and pacifists. So it's, I'm not just here for it as an actual concept. If you're going to do this, please don't just tack it on. Like, that deserves more respect, honestly, because it's, it's, they do a damn good job acting wise, especially of portraying it not as cowardice so much as I don't want to kill somebody. I don't want to be in war. So yeah, I, I, there's a lot to that conversation and it's a 30 second scene. I just don't think it got the respect it deserves. Kudos to the actor. He did an excellent job with it. I actually fully yeah. got what he was in, what they were going for. And I have no problem with the scene except for its brevity. Like they kind of talk yeah. about it a, a tiny bit earlier where they're like, yeah, we might cross the border. Yeah, they like talk that around. That would have been a time to actually set it up. Yeah. And yeah, then give us somewhat abbreviated they, conversation later if you had if you were dedicated to time constraints here. But seriously. They plant they plant in the be- in throughout the whole time with the hippies, they plant these tiny little clues. Like the fact that they're thinking about going up to Canada, him bringing up the war, all that they stuff. They don't set it up um, enough. <laughs> no, exactly. No, I'm agreeing with you. Like, they, they, you know, hint at it, but for the impact that this thing should have, 
they should have done a little bit more than hint at. Yeah, it. yeah. I just, especially since again, it's that's too many people. I think today even are considered you know, like okay, it's just cowardice, and it's like uh, first off, let's say it is. Oh no, there are people are allowed yeah, to like, be okay, cowards. What's wrong with being afraid? So yeah, I have serious fucking issues with the draft alone, but yeah, be- oh, mostly gosh. just because again, a lot of people will go down this macho shit route where it's like, oh, you don't want to serve, you must be a coward, or it's like, or like you're not a patriot. It's like, okay, first off, like it has nothing to do with patriotism to not want to yeah, kill people. It has nothing to do with your patriotism to not want to kill somebody. You know, there's this term called mediation, negotiation, talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are a variety of things you can do that work towards all of the things that you're supposedly working towards. I'm not saying they're going to work, but I'm also not going to say that war works. Instead, I'm just going to point out yeah. there are other things. And sometimes, as you'll notice in Vietnam, for example, war doesn't actually work. Ah! Anyway, my point is here, it's a story that deserves at least more than 30 seconds. Granted, if you're going to do it this way, at least they had a really good actor, an effective actor, doing it. Yeah. But the character alone, the story alone, deserves more. I just, I'm, I'm upset that they yeah, did that. That's just, it strikes me as more than just negligent. It's honestly just a little disrespectful, I think. If like, especially to the content alone. Like, even if you don't have an opinion on the on the matter, it's whenever a writer sets this kind of principle, like a topic of this kind of principle up, and then doesn't really yeah. go into it. I'm like, then why did you do it? Then what was the point? Mm-hmm. You're not respecting your own work here. It's just annoying. So, yeah, it wasn't pissing me off, but it didn't make me happy. So after he admits to being drafted, Jack clearly wants to give him some sort of pep talk, and Sam's like, sir, you can't. He has to make this decision on his own, um, which is rough for Jack. It's got to be doubly rough since he did deserve, did, did decide to serve on his own, you know? Yeah. I don't think he had any problem with what the guy was saying. No. I think he was, oh, I think goodness, he was no. commiserating with him. He was feeling Yeah, I think he was guy. going, yeah. yeah. The military service is for those who want to serve. Exactly. And if you don't belong there, um, then you shouldn't be there. And I'm sorry that this is yeah. happening to you, but I can't take you with me. Yeah, exactly. So, um, my next note here is, nice of them to leave the gate standing upright instead of on its side. And the case for it is hilariously set up. So they go in, and they, first of all, it's, it's standing tall in the middle of this room, just like in the middle of it, the center of it, just just this one really tall, thin, square-shaped box standing up, right? And so they all just run at it and start like climbing up the side because it's got like ladders built into the box on the sides, and they just start unhooking latches on the front and back of it. That's just, just like, what are they doing? What are you doing? <laughs> and the way this box was built was so that they, when they finished doing all the unlatching, both sides just flop over into ramps now. What is holding that thing upright? Why is it set up for this? Why is it? How is it? Mel, what is it? How is it? Why is it? Why is it? I, I, I can't I, tell you. Here's what kills me. It's like, okay, let's, I, obviously it's because it's eye-catching. And it's like, okay, cool. You sacrificed yeah. literally all logic just for a cool shot. Well done. Bad directing there. It was a cool shot. I will yeah, give I mean, them yeah, that. it was imposing but as fuck. You and I were both going, why? <laughs> I, I, I remember this. I whined. I didn't whine. This is this was. I remember being annoyed by this in the movie where they find the ring 
for the first time in Egypt, and their first thought is, let's attach a couple of ropes to this thing, not support it whatsoever, and stand, and it, up. stand it upright, because reasons. Because of course. The, the thing is old at the very least. You probably think it's stone. Delicate logic. <laughs> it's just gone. Because it's just, why did they pull it upright for anything other than a cool shot? I get why, yeah, but it's, it's silly. It's a cool shot. Yeah, that's so I, the only thing going for the scene is that at least it was continuous. Like, at least it was a continuity continuation there because... Just like the movie, for some fucking reason, the gate's upright. Also, the ramps yeah. imply that they know it needs to be walked up into. Ramps, Mel, you said ramps. I didn't realize those were ramps until just now. Why did it have ramps? Why was it prepped because like that? Because they've already done the Ernest Littlefield thing, so they know people can walk up into it. That's right. They did bring it up, so they're probably setting it up for that. You're not wrong. Here's the thing. That was like a super secret thing, what happened to Ernest. Yeah. To the point where not even the SGC knew, you know, team knew about it until it was revealed in Tantalus. So... I'm still annoyed. It was just for the cool shot. We've already established that. Yeah. So they decide to power it up using all of the trucks in the warehouse. Um, <laughs> your face immediately. They do things with Jeeps that I'm letting go. There we go, yeah. So they use the, they use, they, they hook the batteries of the, the Jeeps up to the gate and uh, it's, I believe it's Sam and Jack who are powering it, and Teal and Daniel are dialing the gate manually using their hands and everything. And just as they're finishing putting in, like, the last one, someone from outside hears the very obvious noise of the Jeeps and the, the gate making the ch noises and everything. And so he comes in, and someone comes in from above as well around the same time, um... And basically there winds up being like a, a shoot-off where there's a part where Jack shoots the Zat at one of the guys standing up on a, another, layer, another level. And he's behind like a metal fence. So he doesn't actually get knocked out because the fence absorbs all of the electricity and everything. Um, but basically they have to run through a little bit early. Because Sam's like, it's very precise. We have to go through it at a very precise time or it's not going to work. And Jack's like, we gotta go now. This is actually a great thing. I love it when shows do this occasionally because I actually fucking hate it when a plan, especially when it's convoluted and depends on way too many variables, I hate it when it all goes exactly right because it's like, wh what yeah. is the math? So in an episode that already involves some questionable math, this one goes, yeah, no. No, no, we very clearly established you need these rules. So guess what? If you don't follow them, we're not just going to shrug it off. So the plan doesn't yeah. go according to plan. And that's, I... Love it when they do that, because it's not like it gets extra convoluted. It's not like, especially in this one, where it's literally just an extra step. Fuck it. I don't care. It's yeah. pointing out that, yeah, it's a delicate situation, and if you fuck with it, why would the outcome be right? Absolutely. Why would that just, why would history self-correct for that? That's a concept people like to throw out, throw out in time travel. It's like, no, no, no. It, paradoxes don't actually happen, because history just figures out a way to fix it later. And I'm like, the time stream is not a conscious entity that wants to be right, okay? Like, jeez. <laughs> I mean, if it is, I doubt... I doubt it's that petty. Like, come on, move on. Anyway, yeah, so I liked this a lot. Yeah. So they have to go through a little bit early. Um, and I do like a shot of when they do go through. Uh, Jack's the last one going through because obviously he's, you know, holding off for the rest of them. Um, so he has to, like, dive through with guns being shot at him. But it does wind up meaning that when they get to the other side, Teal'c is just, like, walk, like, walking calmly through, and then you see Jack, like, dive bomb <laughs> past him. 
Uh, but yeah, so they come through, and they're in a gate room, and the gate room doesn't disappear behind them this time, but there's a whole bunch of, like, gear with, like, kind of the same sort of shroud coverings that Michello had, honestly. Yeah, they do love um, that silky looks shit. Looks like an abandoned museum. Yeah, they love that silky yeah. shit. Is that a thing? I always thought they put just sheets over. I didn't know it was this gossamer crap. No, it's not. <laughs> they just did that for effect because it looks cool and you can get the idea of, like, weird tech underneath because you can kind of see Yeah, they do it. it super iridescent style for SGA. It's ridiculous. It's so over the top. Oof. But yeah, so, and they can already kind of tell they're, like, not in the right place. So Jack, who loves his, um his Wizard of Oz um, metaphors, just goes, Annie M, Annie M. And then um, an old woman comes, walks in, and she's like, oh, hey, you guys, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, uh, are we supposed to know who you are? And she's like, Sam will recognize me if she comes, you know, closer. And Sam comes forward and immediately recognizes her as Cassandra as an old woman. And she's really happy to see her and, like, hugs her and everything. It's sweet. Yeah. We don't get much time with them because, as Cassandra will tell them in a minute, they're on a very tight schedule. They do have enough time to cram in a dumbass shit line, which is Jack making a comment like, no, that can't be Cassandra. Cassandra's a 13-year-old girl. And I'm like, you just spent a week you in just 1969. Time traveled, sir. You literally just walked through a portal through time. And you are questioning this. Are you shitting me right yep. now? Like, whoever wrote that line was not thinking clearly. Let me just put it that way. Brad Wright? Yeah. At that point in time, it wasn't Brad Wright. It was it was Brad Wright's left hemisphere because the right hemisphere needed to take a nap like a dolphin. I don't know. Sure. Um, but yeah, so she basically says, yeah, you went through a little too soon, which means you overshot and you wound up here. Um... But it's fine, because I'm here to send you back. And Sam does the whole, well, how did you know to be here to do this? And she's like, because when you do get back, you told me about that this when I was old enough to understand. So I knew to wait for this moment to come. It's the whole It's the whole same theory as with Hammond. So she's like, obviously I can't tell you anything. You know that. Um, but, and she, she has this little, like, jeweled hand device on her hand. She like strokes the outer edge of it and it turns the gain on. The word strokes I'm realizing has been for as much like the word probe. It's just not a word that I like. There's no good way to say what she does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is no good way to say the word stroke. Yeah. Um, but she, you know, activates the gate again and she's like, okay, you gotta hurry back through. Um, and she as they're leaving, she's like, I will tell you this though, your journey's just begun. Um, Insert yeah. cliche here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they get through, and Hammond's waiting there like, oh, welcome back, guys. Sorry, my food just arrived. <laughs> you can tell, because he's barking like a madman. He's a person! A person! <laughs> so they get through, and Hammond's like, welcome back, guys. And yeah, they, they do the whole, you know, the typical, oh, y'all survived wrap-up kind of thing. And so then it basically the episode ends with Hammond turning to Jack and saying, by the way, you owe me $539.50 with interest. But yeah, so that is how the episode ends. Jack's yes, though, when they came through the gate, just, yes, sir, right location. Yes. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is fair. So, um, nobody died. They got uh, slingshot around or a sun. Uh... And didn't die. And still didn't die, which is impressive. Yeah, that's talent Twice. right there. 
Three times. Three times. Three times. So, are you a Jack or are you a Daniel? Dude, I uh, in the very beginning I thought it might be a conundrum for me because there was a, a you know scene where Daniel's talking about like, dude, the things we could see, and I was like, dude, I feel you. Oh God, I feel you. Oh, Library of Alexandria. Holy God, I feel it's call like a siren. Um, <laughs> but literally everything that Jack did, I was just sitting there going like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, it was little, you know, just all, mostly all just little interactions. I, for example, I love that stereotypical cough thing to cigarettes, <laughs> blowing the smoke away, just being a snarky little bitch. I mean, we already have established this many times over. Snarky little bitch is written into my core DNA code. Like, yes. everything that I am is snarky bitch. Just snarky brat. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, uh, Jack is a snarky brat. That's just also very much established. That's fair. So, yeah, I, I am a Jack. I, I accept that as your answer entirely. Uh, so I do think I'm gonna have to say that I'm a Daniel, um, just because, like, while I enjoyed all of Jack's, like, snark in the interrogation scene or whatever, I just don't see myself being like that. <laughs> I think I'd go much more the route of just not saying anything at all. I've never known when to shut up. I definitely wouldn't there. Yeah, but, uh, and also, I, him getting, getting excited about traveling back to see, you know, historical things, um... And also, honestly, to be honest, while it was a bad example because Michael Shanks isn't good at pronouncing, pr pronouncing, pronouncing things, the fact that he immediately jumped at an opportunity to use one of his 23 languages in a little secret spy mission is endearing to my heart, and I would do that too. If I knew 23 languages, I would find every chance I could get to say them, including answering someone in Russian that I am not a Soviet spy. <laughs> So, uh, Joaquin Phoenix for this episode. Thumbs up. It held up. It has, Hell yeah. I have, as usual, a list of complaints, but they aren't, they're more, they're not as insignificant as they were. I remember, like, last episode, they were, like, all minor, or maybe it was the episode before that where they were all minor. Either way, Boston. I had a one episode recently, where, in recent memory, where I was like, yeah, they're, they're really just, they're not that bad. A couple of these were like, okay, what the fuck. But other than that, that's <laughs> a good episode. And again, I like the time travel aspect Especially since they abandoned immediately the one thing I hated about it, which was the, that phasing out thing. They were like, wait, no, that's not how physics works. Yeah. Oops. Um, and they fixed it. There's some directing challenges there that I, I really questioned mostly at the end. Um, but it's fine because he's not coming back. Right. So, so it's like, again. whatever. And I love the writing. Oh, absolutely. Brad Wright does great things. All the things I remembered and loved about it held up, which is honestly the yes, most I can. That's, that's the best it I can ask fun. for. Is I hate it when I love an episode and come to it and go, oh, no. Listen, I love time travel because it's fun, and this is a fun episode of time yeah. travel. So. And it doesn't do anything super egregious, so, uh, again, I'm happy. So, that is it for this week. Only four and a half hours, Mel. Uh, next week, we're going to watch the end of season two, Out of Mind. Mel. I've said this before, and I mean it every time. It's not like I don't remember there's others coming. I just, I mean it every time, because whichever one is happening is the one that I loathe the most. But of the list <laughs> of requisite sci-fi episodes, um, I cannot stress enough how much I loathe this particular trope episode. Uh, my absolute, at this moment in time, most loathed one is in Next Gen. I, I just hate it. I just hate it. I think it's 
it's just weird. It's just, it's just weird. I don't like how they do it. I don't like that it works. I don't like that it's Riker that has it happen to him. I think it's stupid to involve a kid. I think it's just weird. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't like it as a concept and I hate everything that's attached to it. Uh, so I'm not going to be happy next week because honestly, it's one of the most, not just, not only is it dumb to me, but it's, it's uncomfortable. But seriously, I just, I detest these storylines because they hinge on so much and why is it even convincing a little bit mel i hate this kind of episode (laughs) but i do look forward to richard dean anderson because i'm pretty sure he does a good job in it if i remember this right he always does a good job uh, here's the thing i can't remember her face or her name or anything about her but i remember being i remember for some reason i'm remembering that i'm going to like the chick involved Hmm. i something probably just because she was hot i genuinely can't remember what it is mel but i just i'm sitting here going like yeah and that chick's in it and i'm like what chick that's a good question Liz. i don't know what chick but i know there's a chick (laughs) okay well i look forward to this yeah i don't remember this episode well enough because i probably blocked it from my watch watch next week it turns out there's no chick and i just invented her because i hate the episode i'd buy it so yeah we'll find out so that is so we'll find out next week uh until then if you want to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at It's Mel Not Liz or our podcast Twitter at Point of Origin PC. You can also email us at pointoforigincast at gmail.com or write something on the side of a tissue box and toss it through the nearest wormhole. You can find links to things we talked about during the show in the show notes. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you for joining us on our incursion through the iris. And until next time. Bye.